and welcome back to Further Explanation, the Taylor Swift Podcast. There may be no further explanation by Taylor, but there will be from us. We are the Swifty Sisters. My name is Callie. And I'm Kaya. And thank you so much for joining us for our 1989 album breakdown episode. We were talking about 1989 right before we started uh, recording. And so we just recorded. And I wanted to just get this thought out. I was saying how I've been looking back at like my old tweets from the 1989 era when the album had first come out and like right before it came out. And it's so interesting, the relationship that I've had with this album. I loved it so much the same way that I loved all of her previous albums when they first came out. Like I had an immediate attachment to it, but it's interesting the way that like over time, I've just felt more and more distant from it. And I remember when Reputation came out and I heard Reputation for the first time, I remember being like, I can't believe I pretended to like 1989 for three years. <laughs> like, oh it's, it's so funny. I think the re-recording of 1989 Reputation will be really interesting for me to experience because 1989, originally I loved it. And over time, I just felt more and more distant to it or more and more distant from it. But when I heard Reputation, the retroactive opinion change that happened for me with 1989 because Reputation was just much more up my alley emotionally and like stylistically Mm -hmm. just felt more relatable to me. It also just felt a bit more Taylor. And so I felt like I could relate to it and understand it better. Whereas 1989 in hindsight at that point just seemed, it felt a little bit disingenuous at that point, you know, looking back on it, but I'm now coming to a point of, I'm able to appreciate it again for what it was at the time that it existed. And I'm able to kind of have both of those feelings of like, when I first heard it, I'm able to appreciate it in that way. And I'm also able to be like, yes, I love it, but there are things that I don't connect with about this album and that's okay. And I'm, I'm just able to have a bit more nuance with this album now than I have been just in the last, like since Reputation came out, honestly. So yeah, just to set you guys up with where I'm coming from with this album. Yeah. Do you do you relate to that at all, Kaya? Or I was I had this that moment of like, oh, I wasn't really into this like pretty early on because this was whenever I was getting into like alternative. I was like, um, pop music. I don't really like pop music. <laughs> I was just kind of like sick of it <laughs> a little bit. I was getting I was getting a little sick of it. I mean, it was just it was a lot. It was just the most overplayed radio singles in my 11 year old life. And I was like, okay. Like, actually, I think that happened before 1990 came out too. Because Red, with the singles of Red, they were very, very poppy and they're very overplayed. And that had never happened with Taylor before. And so I was, I was getting into like alternative music and then Shake It Off came out. And I think that was part of the reason my reaction was so like, what? <laughs> because I was just like, oh. <laughs> I, and I like Shake It Off and I liked it then, but it was still very like, it was just a lot. And I was not into that at the time. I was going into middle. I was in middle school, so you gotta you gotta understand. <laughs> I remember like when I was making my Taylor Connect account. I was way late in the game on that because I was obviously way younger. But I was I would move and write like, yeah, I've had an interesting relationship with Taylor's music because I got I had times where I kind of don't want to listen. And that was just me like realizing that that's not the she's not the genre that I naturally gravitate towards, and 
having to kind of like to contend with that because we basically had already devoted our entire lives to her. <laughs> and so no and I was I liked it a lot, but it was no it was always one of my least favorites albums, even like early on when it first came out. I've always had that opinion with Nineteen Eighty Nine, and plus I had people at my school saying like, "Ooh, I hate Out of the Woods," and like I was like, "Why are you even talking about this? Why are you speaking on Out of the Woods?" <laughs> I don't know. I always have my favorites on the album, but my opinion has always just been that it doesn't have like extremely high highs or like extremely low lows. It's just kind of like it's sonically cohesive, which is what she set out to do to make the album. She did it successfully, but it's just not my the thing that I gravitate towards when it comes to art. Which is a perfect, you kind of just perfectly teed me up there to say this. A quote that I pulled from Taylor that I wanted to intro into this episode with. She said, in the end, we made a really sonically cohesive album and one I'm really excited for you to hear. That was her like running tagline with this album. Sonically cohesive. She took the loss of Red for Album of the Year at the Grammys as I need to make something polar opposite from this album and she did 1989 and red there there are really no two albums in her discography that are back to back and so polar opposite aside from lover and folklore now (laughs) and then evermore and midnight those i would say are closer than red in 1989 the songwriting on midnights is very folklore and evermore influenced whereas the songwriting on 1989 is a complete shedding of the emotional intricacy of red it's much more to the point it is much more concise they're just very different yeah we have to set this up with the the red loss of the grammy changed her as a person she she had been festering something inside her had been festering but this flipped the switch and once you flip that switch you cannot go back <laughs> it sent her down a path 1989 era taylor is a very different Taylor from any Taylor we've ever we ever saw before. Yeah, so we are going to ease into this with a leading up to 1989. We're going to talk about the aesthetic changes, and then we're going to talk about 1989 as a whole, as an album, the genre switch into pop music, and then we're going to go into our track by track. So let's just get started. We're kind of already talking about this right now, where we were coming from. If we're going to talk about 1989 as an album, an era, and a cultural moment, it's important to first note where Taylor was coming from at the time. So how the public perceived her, what she was fresh off the heels of, et cetera, et cetera. With the Red Album, Taylor was kind of dipping her toes into pop with songs like We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together, I Knew You Were Trouble, 22, and even I think Girl at Home. I know so many people complain about the pop production of Girl at Home, Taylor's version. But I think that just based on the melody of that song, I think you can see that Taylor was leaning into those pop melodies. And I think she was, I think if that song had gone further at its original creation than just being a demo, I think it would have been a Max Martin shellback song. And she was leaning into like the campiness of pop music a little bit, like with songs like that and with songs like Stay, 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 you know? Mm. And so it, it does feel fitting. Also, I feel like we should talk about how it was not just pop, it was like EDM, (laughs) dance, country, pop. (laughs) That's interesting, Kaya, because I wanted to talk about how in doing research for this episode and like taking notes on interviews and just hearing what Taylor said about 1989 and what also critics said about 1989 is how it felt like she made an album that was really... 
as timeless as a pop album can be, you know, like it didn't reference what pop sounded like at that time. Like there's a critical review that I have in the notes in here somewhere that said, well, let me just find it because it's relevant to what we're talking about. <laughs> this was a quote from the New York Times review for 1989. And they said, full of expertly constructed, slightly neutered songs about heartbreak, 1989 doesn't announce itself as oppositional, but there is an implicit enemy on this breezily effective album, the rest of mainstream pop, which 1989 has almost nothing in common with. Modern pop stars, white pop stars, that is, mainly get there by emulating black music. Think of Miley Cyrus, Justin Timberlake, Justin Bieber. In the current ecosystem, Katy Perry is probably the pop star least reliant on hip-hop and R&B to make her sound, but her biggest recent hit featured the rapper Juicy J. She's not immune. Her idea of pop music harks back to a period, the mid-1980s, when pop was less overtly hybrid. That choice allows her to stake out popular turf without having to keep up with the latest micro-trends and without being accused of cultural appropriation. <laughs> It's really interesting when you think about songs like Never Ever and I Knew Your Trouble specifically, like that one in particular was very of the moment. And on forthcoming tours in Taylor's career, she's had to kind of change up the production of the song a little bit to make it feel not dated. Yeah. And it's interesting to look at how she had an awareness of that almost on 1989 or maybe even not so much an awareness of, but just she didn't do that. She didn't make that mistake or kind of fall into that uh, pitfall. She had an awareness, definitely. And I was watching an interview with her talking about the album, and she was like, it's very sonically cohesive. And you know the like, madness she gets in her eyes when she said that? <laughs> and she's like, it's not like my last album that had country, EDM. And she was like making this like disgusted face. And this is what I, annoys me when people are like, oh, she's, her red is obviously her favorite. It's like, you weren't there. <laughs> You don't know what this was like. <laughs> she hated Red for many, many years. All too well, she, 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 that was always a fan favorite, and that was always something she prided herself on. But the album itself, she discarded it as soon as the Grammys were over. <laughs> and she said, I'm never going back. <laughs> and she cut her hair to signify the breakup <laughs> between her and messiness. <laughs> And the, the public perception, too, after Red, critics loved Red. Like, there was no denying that. The only note that people gave on the album was just that there are a lot of different sounds on here. Uh, something else that we'll kind of get into a little bit later in the episode is Red was a lot of different genres in, in one body of work. In talking about 1989 in interviews, at this time, Taylor said, like, I'm switching to pop and I'm being very honest about that. And I think it's because she had so many people that were like, this isn't country, this isn't country with Red. And she wanted, she was really tired of hearing that. And she was like, it's a documented pop album. Hello. Like, can you please just free me of this, this complaint? She is a very success oriented person. She wants the most success and she wants it all. She, she wants success. That's what she wants. And she was realizing that country was holding her back, I think, a little bit on Speak Now because she didn't have the mainstream success that Fearless brought her. And she was like, I want more. <laughs> and she's never one to shy away from what she wants, even if it seems like a lot or it's like a big shift or whatever. And so on Red, she said, okay, I'm going to put purely pop songs on my album. Just a few, just the singles, and it'll be a country album. But I want to get those number ones. <laughs> and she got those. 
And she's like, okay, I like this. <laughs> and then after it didn't win the Grammy, that was her last straw. And she was like, I'm done trying to appeal to people who want me to be what I used to be or want me to be something that I'm not. And I am going to go for the gold. I'm going to, I'm going to be exactly what I want, which is the biggest pop star in the world. I'm not going to like taint my own ability to succeed with anything else. See, this is when she was like, I'm literally, my goal is to be the best and nothing else matters. And like, I, I respect that. I want it all attitude. Like I respect it on some level, but also like she has her issues. <laughs> this album was a mix of two driving forces of her wanting that success, like you just said, and then also her just natural creative songwriting brain that was reaching into different spaces than she had had the freedom to do before. So it was a natural, like a growing pain. Red was a bit of a growing pain album. And so mm -hmm. 1989 was that first step into adulthood in a sense of her artistic ability. Yeah. And that was the big thing too, because she didn't just want to make like a big viral hit or something. She wanted to make a timeless album that sets was set itself apart from other pop albums because she was still very not like other girls in this time period. And you can hear that from all her interviews during this time. She was like, I'm not like those other girls who just follow the trends and make these little hits and stuff. I'm making a timeless pop album. And so she wanted the success. She wanted the acclaim. She wanted to be in a category of her own, but she also wanted to be every other person in the category. <laughs> That's a good way to sum up where she was at <laughs> artistically at this time. Okay, so now we are going to talk about the aesthetic changes that Taylor made for this gear switch into pop. But before we do that, let's look at how she was set up for success with those aesthetic changes. Let's let's set the scene here. You are a 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 year old. Maybe you were older than that. I don't know. But if you were in this age group, as a good chunk of her fans were at the time, the diehard fans that were like online and really following her career. If you were a fan at that time and you were within that age group, you grew up with Country Taylor. Curly hair, cowboy boots, leather bracelets on her wrist, the wide-eyed look at the crowd, that is who you knew. And you probably were attached to her because she spoke to something in you that you didn't get anywhere else. She identified a feeling that you struggled to identify yourself. She made you feel known when you felt really unknown by your peers or the people around you. And so if that person is going to make a switch into pop music, you have to do that in a very careful way because you don't want to isolate or abandon all of those fans that know a certain version of you. So before she just dropped this 80 synth pop album onto all of her fans, she kind of teased what was coming. She kind of let us know. She brought us into the change with her. She was seen walking the streets of New York every goddamn day. And she made her haircut. I don't even know how to describe this. It was a cultural moment. Like she wanted us to care about this. Like I remember sitting on the bathroom floor waiting for photos of her hair. She made that her entire personality. And then she walked the streets of New York in crop tops and she started hanging out with a bit more mainstream famous people. And the things that she wore on the red carpet started to look much different than the dresses and gowns that we were kind of used to seeing her in. Bye, Grandma Swift. <laughs> Hello, 
something else. <laughs> she started to experiment a bit more. She started to just look like a pop star. And we are going to talk about her style at this time much more in depth in our style episode. So we don't need to get too much into it here, but she was warning us. She was easing us into it. So what were her go-tos for this time? It was the short hair, the matching cord crop top sets with the little skirts, high heels always. I can't wait to talk about it. So we're not going to get into it and have a full conversation about that, but I just wanted to yeah. kind of set the scene, paint the picture for you all. So that's where she we are. So, so like was very sanitized. She was very, every little piece was planned. Every little thing she did was put together. She never like, that That was the point of this era. She wanted to be that untouchable pop star who, you know, could be relatable because that was the relatable Instagram age. <laughs> but like she wanted to balance the line between those two things. And that's a hard thing for a girl to do. <laughs> we are now going to get into talking about the album itself, 1989, the switch to pop. Are you ready? Is everybody ready? Cool. Okay. On talking about naming the album 1989, Taylor said, It was the night of the Grammys this year. I remember going home and playing a lot of the new music I had recorded for some of my backup singers and one of my best friends. I wonder who that best friend was. Do you think that was like Selena Gomez or Carly Kloss? Anyway, we were all sitting in the kitchen and I was playing them all this music and they were just saying, you know, this is very 80s. It's very clear to us that this is so 80s. <laughs> and we were just talking and talking. You think they all said that? <laughs> I think we've decided it's very clear to us that this is very 80s. <laughs> we were just talking and talking about how it's kind of a rebirth in a new genre and how that's a big, bold step, kind of starting a part of your career over. And when they left that night, I just had this very clear moment of, it's got to be called 1989. What I find so funny about this quote is that this is the version of the story that she told us leading up to 1989. Post the release of 1989, the version that she told like at the Grammy interview, the Grammy Museum interview that she did when she played all those acoustic versions of the songs on 1989, the version of the story was, when I didn't win Album of the Year for Red, I went home by myself, in and out burger, went home by myself, cried. And woke up the next morning and said, I'm making a change. The album's going to be pop. It's called 1989. I'm not listening to my label. I'm starting tomorrow. So what, what version of this story is correct? Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> the woman on the revenge trail. <laughs> when asked about the influence for 1989, Taylor said, you see people who are creating music based on what they think is working at the time. And it's kind of like chasing trends. And I think if you're chasing a trend, by the time you put out that music, there's going to be a new wave of what's working. I'd much rather be part of a new wave and create something new than chase what everyone else is doing at the time. What do you think about that guy? Just You've got thoughts. I can see it on your face. Let's well, hear it. It's just that she's, and it's just bliss. What I always, it's just what she, it's just who she is. <laughs> it's not because she wants to be true herself. It's not because she just wants to, to do it for the integrity of the art necessarily, but she knows that it's, she's just so obsessed with perception and like how people view her and she wants to be so highly regarded and put above the fray. And that's why she doesn't like to chase trends because she looks down on it, you know, which I understand. I mean, I've looked down on it myself, <laughs> but 
that's such a driving factor for this album which is so funny which is so funny because the last album she did chase trends interesting the like to the present day last album midnights oh well, i meant red yeah I, but i think that's why that was a driving force for her because i think at that time i knew your trouble had already dated itself and when she was releasing red she would say that that was her favorite song on the album. And so I think because her favorite song on Red had hit an expiration date trend-wise or like popularity-wise, I think that that bothered her. So she did an interview. I think Shake It Off had just come out and she was asked like, how do you feel when, when you're about to release this album? Like what, what's going through your mind? And she said, on release night for 1989, I'll be a basket of nerves because this is something I've waited for for so many years. And then it's just out. And then it's just kind of judged based on a first week number and all these things that cause anxiety. Creatively, I couldn't be more confident about the album. But on the other half of it, you're like, oh God, I hope, I hope people want this. And so I just wanted to call that out because I think where Taylor's at now, it's really easy to look back at this and say like, of course, this is going to be popular. Like, It just feels obvious for her to go into pop and just start making pop music. But when you think about the label president that she had at the time and the struggle that it was to just put the pop songs on red and the struggle that it was to make an entire pop album i'm sure it was probably really nerve-wracking for her to put out an entire pop album when scott was telling her like you can't make pop music because you're gonna lose all of your fans all the success that you know that's gonna be gone people aren't gonna stay on board for a country artist making pop music you can't do that. And it reminds me of this tweet that she posted like around this time that she was making 1989, where she was like, when you're so jet lagged and you just start answering emails with, I'll do whatever I want. I think she was going to be successful no matter what, because they were such like classic pop singles. I feel like there was no way that like Shake It Off wasn't going to be a hit. You know what I mean? Because it's a typical Taylor, like addressing her public perception song. I feel like that was a surefire hit. I don't think it was obvious that it was going to become what it became, but she wasn't just a country artist because she'd been in a pop realm since Fearless. So she'd kind of been being primed for having a pop career, even if that's not what they were presenting to the public with their music. Because like she was being groomed with like Miley and Selena and like the the pop girls of the time, like she was that on that level. So I don't think it was as big of a leap as she wanted it to seem. I don't even think it's that. I don't think it's necessarily what she wanted it to seem like, but I think it's more of just what she was hearing from her label. I think it's Scott's stupidity that gave her that anxiety. I think I also said this in the last episode too, but like it wasn't that jarring for the public because she had already, she basically was branded as a pop artist to the public by the Red Era because all her singles were very, very pop and she was in the pop sphere and she did like the pop music videos and all that stuff. Um, so the, I think the most risk, risky change was for her, like her diehard fans, but she also worked so hard to build the fan base in an insane way that she had to have known that they weren't just going to like leave, <laughs> you know. But that's what I'm saying is I agree with you about that, that that relationship was there and it makes sense why it didn't change just because of a pop album or a genre sh shift. But I think Scott was telling her that it would and so she had those anxieties because she cared so much about it being successful that, you know, you got the head of your label telling you, don't do this. I don't want you to do this. Can you please put some country songs on this album? 
that's going to create anxiety for her. I pulled this quote from just some random interview. This quote says, I tried to make pop music that would make you want to dance, but also make you think. I think she really accomplished that. I think she towed that line. It's not my personal pick of the bunch of what I would naturally gravitate towards with pop music that would make me want to dance and make me think. But I think she did what she set up to do in that sense. I think Midnight's actually way surpassed that. Midnight's 89 is kind of crazy. (laughs) Midnight's is just such a better version of that, in my opinion. When people compare 1989 and Midnight's, they're so different. But I get the comparison because Midnight's is what I would have wanted 1989 to be. I do see the thread there, but to me, Midnight's is much more similar to Red. Yeah, because it's so messy. Energy-wise, and because lyrically, Midnight's is so strong, whereas, you know, that review said, like, 1989 was pretty emotionally neutered. Like, it was very filtered down. And so I think that's what makes Midnight so interesting is because it was right after she wrote Folklore and Evermore. And so she was a little bit more skilled at not losing that lyrical the sharpness of her lyricism wasn't sacrificed for the sake of a pop production. She can have lyrics cook, 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 cook class. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that was a strong attempt, Kaya. <laughs> will always live in my brain. I, it's, it's so funny because you and I talked a lot in the last episode, the music video episode, about how 1989 wasn't as 80s as she was kind of selling it to be. And I, while I do think she did oversell that for sure, I do also see just the energy that she brought to the album. It was more of a feeling. It was less of, this is an 80s inspired album. But when asked about the inspiration for the Polaroid pictures for 1989, Taylor said, that was one of the visual elements that I always saw making up the identity of this album. I like for an album to be defined by its emotional DNA, kind of a sonic sound. I like for there to be lots of different themes going on. And one of them that made perfect sense for me was Polaroid pictures. I love them because they're tangible. You can hold them. You can put them in your pocket. If you lose them, they're gone, which I think is a great metaphor for love and relationships. But less meta, I think that they really represent the time period from which I took a lot of inspiration, which is the late 80s. Polaroid pictures are kind of a really iconic element of the 80s. I love what she said about if you lose them, they're gone. That to me speaks to my favorite part of the emotional identity of this album, Mm -hmm. which is that longing, that pining, a bit of distance towards something that's lost, that's not as present and in the moment and overwhelmed by the feeling, but just more Mm -hmm. of I'm looking back on this and I recognize that you're still reaching down and pulling up these feelings and identifying them, but you're not overtaken by them. Yeah. And the album really does feel like like a pretty picture. Like that's such a good way to describe it. Like I guess a Polaroid picture (laughs) because it feels just nice to look at. Like it feels complete in its little frame, but it's not like an experience when you dive into it that you're overtaken by all these intense emotions. It just feels like it's neat is what it should be, but it's like you're looking back on something when you listen to it almost. And we said this in the last episode too, that she wasn't trying to do 80s sounding music because that wasn't really acceptable as much at the time in pop music to do something that sounded like, because 80s wasn't really on trend yet. It was was about to be. And Teenage Dream was like the one that sparked it. And so 
it was it was on the rise but it was still like we said i said this in the last thing it was like costuming you know it wasn't like cool it wasn't being reinterpreted into new trends and that's why she didn't do anything like visually that felt very 80s besides like stuff that was already acceptable in current trends like on the 1999 tour with like the bomber jacket you know the neon colors and stuff stuff that was kind of popular at the time but not because it was 80s but more because it it fit into that hipster aesthetic that was popular at the time. Coming off of like red was kind of peak hipster era, but then 2014 was like a a modified version of that where it was like still hipster, but it was a bit more trendy hipster. And a lot of the trendy hipster stuff looked 80s. Something that we kind of touched on just a second ago that I want to jump back to is that Taylor often spoke about 1989's romantic lens as one with more hindsight than her previous records. It's kind of like what we just said, like, with Red, it's like you feel everything she was feeling in the moment when you listen to it. And this was very, like, I'm older and I'm wiser now, you know? And it's kind of like I can look back on it and have a little bit of a laugh about it, <laughs> you know? Not everything is the end of the world, and that's what she was trying to... She was trying to distance herself from that persona that she had become known for and being like, I'm more mature now, and I can... You know, I can have little flings and little breakups. And I've, I've been there too a few times, you know, which is just, it's her trying to say like, oh, I've been there. <laughs> That's such a good lyric. It's such a good like representation of this album. I love that you said that because I actually wrote something down about that uh, in here somewhere. But that also makes me think of the next thing that I was going to go into, which was some critical reception of 1989. And Pitchfork said, the album, named after the year she was born, treats heartbreak as if observing a painting on a wall rather than a feeling she desperately needs to articulate. And I think that they really nailed it with that. Like with Speak Now and and Red and Fear, like everything that came before in 1989, there was a, I'm overtaken by this emotion and you get the processing of that in the songs. Whereas with 1989, it was like she'd already processed these feelings, but and after she processed them is when she started writing about them. Or that's the version of the story we got. The whole album is very light and airy. I mean, that's the thing about 1989 is that she wanted to make it very palatable and very listable to the lowest common denominator to the most amount of people possible. And so it makes sense because like All Too Well, that's a song that people they cling to that song because it's so deeply personal and deeply emotional. But I'd say nine has something for everyone and you can put it on at any time. You don't have to be revisiting those feelings to listen to Nine. On that topic of, you know, kind of observing heartbreak rather than being in it, there was a quote from a Billboard review that I loved. They said, by Taylor Swift's fifth album, her coming of age stories had already been told. Coming of age is coming gone. When you're in your mid-20s, once you've survived first love and heartbreak, all you're left with is yourself. 1989 captures the feeling of having grown into your adult self when all that's left to do is announce it to the world. And I love that. I think that they really articulated something that I admire and I do adore about this album is the fact that I think, yes, there was that sort of calculated, I want to make an album that's opposite from Red, but I also think she was at an age and living her life and having experiences that just kind of fit with that anyway. Like her relationship with Harry Styles was never going to breed another Red album. And so it's sort of like all these pieces just kind of clicked into place for 1989 to be exactly what it was, which is really cool when you think about that.
Are we ready for the track by track, everyone? Are you buckled in? Do you have your cup of coffee? Do you have your pumpkin spice latte? Do you have your iced tea? Because it is fall, people, officially, according to me. (laughs) And 1989 is a fall album. Ooh, we should probably should have said something about Sweden Fiction, or just at least mentioned it. Because she always does like a little transitional song in between albums, usually for a movie. Like that's kind of a thing that she did a lot throughout the years. And so Sweeter Than Fiction, wasn't that her first song with Jack Antonoff? Yeah. So that was, I mean, that's huge. Because <laughs> Jack Antonoff, he never left after that. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was a song for some movie called One Chance. I never, we never saw it. It was some, I think it was like in the UK or something. So um, that song is literally like, it's literally like 80s synth pop. That was a very, that was kind of a shock to the system. But that was her little way of giving us a taste of what was about to come. And a lot of people actually don't ever talk about that song. So if you don't know about that song, go listen to it. And I'm so surprised that it's not on Taylor's version of 1989. That just doesn't really make sense to me. No, I don't really get her. (laughs) I don't know why she does the things she does. Okay, so here is the album prologue for 1989. I was born in Reading, Pennsylvania on December 13th, 1989. In the world we live in, much is said about when we are born and when we die. Our birthday is celebrated every year to commemorate the very instant we came into the world, and a funeral is held to mark the day we leave it. But lately, I've been wondering, what can be said of all of the moments in between our birth and our death? The moments where we are reborn. The debate over whether people can change is an interesting one for me to observe, because it seems like all I ever do is change. All I ever do is learn from my mistakes, so I don't make the same ones again. Then I make new ones. I know people can change because it happens to me little by little every day. Every day I wake up as someone slightly new. Isn't it wild and intriguing and beautiful to think that every day we are new? For the last few years, I've woken up every day not wanting but needing to write a new style of music. I needed to change the way I told my stories and the way they sounded. I listened to a lot of music from the decade in which I was born, and I listened to my intuition that it was a good thing to follow this gut feeling. I was also writing a different storyline than I'd ever told you before. Everything we just said. Mm -hmm. I wrote about moving to the loudest and brightest city in the world, the city I had always been overwhelmed by, until now. I think you have to know who you are and what you want in order to take on New York and all its blaring truth. You also have to be rich. I wrote about the thrill I got when I finally learned that love, to some extent, is just a game of cat and mouse. I wrote about looking back on a lost love and understanding that nothing good comes without loss and hardship and constant struggle. There's no riding off into the sunset like I used to imagine. We are never out of the woods because we are always going to be fighting for something. I wrote about love that comes back to you just when you thought it was lost forever and how some feelings never go out of style. I wrote about an important lesson I learned recently, that people can say whatever they want about me, but they can't make me lose my mind. Girl, I've learned how to shake things off. (laughs) She was trying, she was really trying. She was was trying, you know, gold star forever. I've told you my stories for years now. Some have been about coming of age, some have been about coming undone. This is a story about coming into your own, and as a result, coming alive. I hope you know that you've given me the courage to change. I hope you know that who you are is who you choose to be, and that whispers behind your back don't define you. You are the only one who gets to decide what you will be remembered for. The girl who said she would never cut her hair 
or move to New York or find happiness in a world where she is not in love. Love, Taylor. And then it also says at the top, these songs were once about my life. They are now about yours. Yeah, that's such a good forward. That's that's really good. It's so funny because when she was saying all those things about life and death and all the moments that you're reborn, I was like, and we got this album from that? <laughs> That part of it was very much a, how do I set up what I'm trying to say about yeah, my, I know, I know. my switch to pop? How do I connect to my birth year to the pop music? Yeah, I know. But it was very good. I really, really liked it. <laughs> it's just interesting pairing when you hear the actual album. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that really perfectly just sets everything up. So before we get into the track by track, let's just go over who produced this album and who made this this album with Taylor. Max Martin was the executive producer. And so even the songs that he didn't produce, he still recorded the vocals for. And so that's kind of how you get that seamless, all of these songs, even the ones that are a little bit different in their production, they all sound like they fit together well. They, they blend right into each other, one after the other. Jack produced I Wish You Would, Out of the Woods, and You Are In Love. Ryan Tedder produced I Know Places and Welcome to New York, which I always forget that he did that one too. Imogen Heap did Clean. Nathan Chapman returned for This Love. And Max Martin and Johan Schelbeck did all the rest. We're now going to get into, into the album, into the music itself. I'm so excited. Here we go. <laughs> I hope you guys really appreciate that Kaya does this every time we, yeah. we introduce a new song because I'm rocking out. Okay, so track one, Welcome to New York, produced by Ryan Tedder and Taylor Swift and then one other person that I don't know. What do you feel about this song, Kaya? This was a promotional single that we got for the album, by the way. So this was one that we heard before we heard the entire album. I think it was third promotional single. So we got Shake It Off and then we got Out of the Woods and then we got Welcome to New York. I remember sitting in your room on the floor with your little Christmas lights listening to this song for the first time because I remember when she said the gay line. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, stop. <laughs> Everybody stop. <laughs> it's crazy that I have that vivid memory just because that line. I was like, Taylor Swift said something about gay people. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like right after I was, I had already been addressing things in my own self. <laughs> so I was, that was, and I, and I decided to shove it all down. <laughs> and so I was like, wait a second, why are you doing this? <laughs> Did you hear something about me? <laughs> That's so funny that you say that, Kai, because I remember hearing that and being like, the gay part of me was like, hello? <laughs> and then I go, no, no, shh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because Taylor Swift said that doesn't mean you get to come out of there. <laughs> like, but it, it really did. There was like a part of me that was like, oh. And then I was just like, no, no, no we'll deal with that later. Something funny is that I always wanted to go to New York, like, when I was a kid, like, that was, like, my big, oh, New York, I need to be there. <laughs> but when this, when I heard this song, I was like, that's not really what I imagined. <laughs> I've never been a huge fan of this song. I thought I would like it, because, like, 
New York. She's writing about New York. And then I heard, I was like, that's not what I, it just didn't, it just didn't capture the feeling to me of like what I thought New York, what my, my associations associations with New York. It's also because like, just how the song sounds, I'm not a huge fan of. (laughs) I actually really, really love this song. And I think part of that is because it was a promotional single. And so it was one of the first things that I heard of the album and it had come right after or right before I, f- I forget which one came first but out of the woods like those we got those two promo singles and I was kind of able to experience those outside of the rest of the album and there are some songs on 1989 that do just like lower my experience with the album which we'll get to as we go through but these two were songs that I really really loved and so I just have a positive feeling with them because it was like before I heard any songs in 1989 that I didn't like. So I really, I really love this song. Uh, I love the line, took our broken hearts, put them in a drawer. Because to me, like to start the album with that, it very much feels like a, it signifies a dusting off from Red. And she, she did that so well in this opening track, as opposed to, I forgot that you existed on Lover, which she tries to kind of like dust off reputation and fails miserably. So... <laughs> I think this song is just a perfect album opener. It is. For 1989. I've heard some people recently say that it shouldn't be the album opener. And I think you need to learn your history. You need to learn how much Taylor Swift talked about moving to New York and how much she wouldn't shut up about it once she did and how that really influenced the identity of this album. So. Yeah, I think it's a great song. It's just, it was never, it was never, I mean, just think of how it sounds, you know? (laughs) I love how it sounds. There's just three chords and they're all very happy chords. And that's never been something that I personally find myself wanting to listen to. I like the chorus because, I mean, it's very repetitive and like very poppy, but it's unique still. You know what I mean? Like the, it's like, I don't know, there's a weird like rhythmicness, whatever to it that I like. The synths and the production, they're so crisp. I think that's one of my favorite things about the song. It just feels like, oh, you know, like it just feels very fresh and it just feels good in your ears, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like textured in a way, you know? It feels, yeah. Yes, it's the texture of the song is so pleasing to Mm -hmm. my ears and I love it. And I also love her voice in this song. She sounds cool in the verses and that's not something that she sounds often. And this is another thing, too. I remember watching this video about how she made this such a pop, like, smash hit album because she utilized the, like, mono note. Like, so much of this album is just one note, like, the whole chorus or, like, a whole verse or a whole song. And that's another reason why I just, like, I just can't go, like, I just, this is not for me, per se, because it's just very repetitive and it doesn't feel dynamic as it feel like there's a lot of different feelings and it's just like this song falls flat a little bit for me because of that it feels just very like i can't i can't just like rock out to the song you know what i mean <laughs> i get that and there are t- i do uh kind of have phases of the song where sometimes it really just hits all the right notes in my brain and then there are times where i'm like it's just sounding like a one sound and it's just not <laughs> working for me Overall, I do really, really love this song. Are we going to rate the songs as we go through? We can show our ranking at the end. We'll just put, we'll put our 1989 ranking on the Instagram. How about that? We should also just say our top favorites, which I think we usually do anyway. Yeah, yeah. 
and we'll talk about our favorites as we go through them. Yeah. I also love the bass. The bass and the synth and the drums. It's a good combination. It's very loud. It's very full. I like the production, but as a song, it's not not my favorite. Okay. Something else that I need to say about this album at the beginning of it so that we can go back to it as we go through these tracks is this is an album of incredible genius, life-changing ad-libs. There is just no other Taylor album that really does ad-libs in the insane way that this one does. I think the ad-libs that she has on other albums and other songs, the ones that I love, are because they maybe remind me of the ad-libs on this album. She just, that's one of my favorite parts of the album. I love, I love the first line, walking through a crowd, the village is aglow. The fact that that's the first line of this entire album, it's, it gives me a feeling. It's the perfect entrance into the rest of the record. And also having a lot of thoughts about how it's not a summer album and it's a fall album. And that ties in with how we said it's like, it's, it's mature. She's trying to make this big pop transition. She wants to have this smash hit pop album, but she doesn't want it to just be, I don't know, it's like almost too easy to make it like a summery, fun, whatever album. Because she also, it's not necessarily just like happy, happy, happy. It sounds very happy, 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 but it's more mature than that. And I think to make it like a girl living in New York in the fall, like that's so like classic, you know, and that's very tailored too. And that's part of like it being timeless, I think. To make a pop smash hit album for the fun for the summertime, blah, 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 that's common. That's, you know, that's easy, easier to do, I think. But this has like almost like it's subversive because it feels very fall and like the village is a glow. Like that makes me feel like she's walking through it and like, a crisp little fall November night or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> and undercoats, heart, loud heartbeats undercoats. Like the, the spirit of New York is like in the winter, really, from this point of view that she's giving. And I love that line, searching for a sound we hadn't heard before. And it said, welcome to New York. It's been waiting for you. I love that because it kind of has a double meaning for her of moving mm-hmm. to New York and also looking for pop inspiration and New York being such a muse for her for that transition to pop. And I think the song is just generally really underrated. And I love that line in verse two, when we first dropped our bags on apartment floors. I love that visual. Like that's just so good. Yeah. She has a lot of good lyrics about like apartment related things or like just little things about like living spaces and things that I really like about this (laughs) album. And I love the bridge to The bridge is so great because she's kind of shifting the focus. She's kind of cluing you into the fact that this album is not going to be a heartbreak album or a really emotionally distressed album like you might have previously known or like you might have expected. Like any great love, it keeps you guessing. Like any real love, it's ever changing. Like any true love, it drives you crazy. And she's not talking about a person. She's talking about a place. She's talking about the setting in which her life exists. And I just think that's a really important uh, important setup for the album. On the track two. <laughs> Blank space. Once again. <laughs> Same note. <laughs> I think I talked about this last episode, but... Um, that this song, when this when we first heard it versus when it became a single, two different songs. Like I, I remember hearing this song, and be like, oh, this is, just feels so like fresh and interesting, and 
it and it had its own identity and then once it became a single and it became blank space you know like blank space as its own entity <laughs> it became a different thing i actually remember when 1989 came out we didn't get because this was before streaming and before taylor was on streaming at least when blank space came out or when 1989 came out we didn't get the cd for like a couple days and i remember being on the bus on the way to school the day it came out and some of my friends from twitter had sent me the leak of the album <laughs> and i was like okay i'm not gonna listen i'm not gonna listen and i looked at blank space and i was like maybe just one and so i listened to blank space on the bus and i remember being like what the fuck was that Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting in class and just thinking about that song and being like, I got to hear that shit again. And so I played it again because I was so it, it was just so different than the singles we had heard before. It was so different than anything she had ever done before. It was like a culmination of all of her best one liners in just one song all back to back. It was a lot to digest. And it was also so genius. The satirical play on the narrative that people had given her at that time. I, I remember in the voice memo of that song when she was writing it. I don't know who I said it. Now, I <laughs> At the end, I don't remember whose voice this came from, but either Max or Shellback were like, oh, I love it. They're going to hate you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so annoying. Yeah. So many people, we said this in the last episode when we were talking about the video, but so many people just didn't get it. They thought no. that she was being serious. They didn't understand just... it. It shows how little your comprehension skills are. You know what I'm saying? Let's look at some of the lyrics of Blink Space. Nice to meet you, where you been? I could show you incredible things. Magic, madness, heaven, sin. Saw you there and I thought, oh my God, look at that face. You look like my next mistake. Love's a game, wanna play? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I think this, these first few lines really kind of, even though the song is satirical and she is like writing the song as that character, I do also think that some of the ways she talks about love and relationships here were kind of how she did feel and they do kind of express some of the lessons she had learned about relationships at this time. Love can just be a game of cat and mouse, like she said. Love is a ruthless game. I feel like I don't really have a lot to say about this song. I just feel like it's all been said, you know what I mean? I think it's one of those songs where you either get it or you don't. And it's either for you or it's not. <laughs> and I'm not even saying that as to like, it's for me, but like... I get it, not necessarily for me. You know what I mean? Also just want to point out to you guys that we just realized that Kaya was connected to the wrong mic. So if during the everything that you've heard so far, if you're like, mm, her audio is not that great, we fixed it and our apologies. So sorry. Kaya needs to get better about checking her correct microphone before I've we start recording. every time except for this time. I agree with what you just said, but I want to call out a couple of my favorite lyrics from the song. I really like the I can read you like a magazine. I think that being in the first verse is almost like a like a little wink to what she's doing here lyrically in the song. I don't know. I just think it's really good. And she's obviously playing on I can read you like a book. Yeah, but it's more of like a shallow kind of like funny way to say that. <laughs> And it's like, where do people get the information about her <laughs> that she would be writing this song from? Magazines. Mm. I think that's just so clever. And then I also love, and I think this lyric is one that can't really be appreciated enough. Like, 
I think I would be remiss to not call this one out. So it's going to be forever or it's going to go down in flames. Any relationship you're going to, you might be with them forever or it's going to, you're going to break up. And there are one of two ways it's going to go. That's what I mean when I say like this song, while it is satire and it is very tongue in cheek and playful, she's still imparting a lot of these little lessons that she's learned about dating in your 20s. She does both really well, I think, at the same Mm -hmm. time in the song. And then I've got a blank space, baby, and I'll write your name. But do you remember what you first thought when you heard that? Yeah, I think I thought it was the, like a, you know? Like, like a little finger like guns. finger gun. <laughs> yeah. Because that's what she does when she was recording it. But yeah, I, it's a pen click, right? Or I can't remember. Honestly, I might have thought it was a pen click, but I was very distinctly on one side. I remember someone telling me that it was the other one. And I was like, no, <laughs> I don't remember which side. I was You're like, about. it's finger guns, obviously. <laughs> and then the cherry lips, crystal skies is one of my favorite lyrics in the song because it just the visual that that gives me is so like rich and expensive. (laughs) And I want you to say what you said in our music videos episode for anyone who maybe missed that episode. Go back and watch it. (laughs) Listen to it. The character she's playing here, that story is what men do in relationships where they start off great and they give you- Oh, men are crazy. (laughs) Men are crazy. That's what I was saying is that it's so funny that everyone thinks women are crazy when really men are insane. And that's what men do. But she didn't think she didn't think of it that way when she was writing it. She thought girls are crazy. And so I'm going to pretend I'm crazy, even though I kind of am crazy. <laughs> I don't know if she was thinking like, girls are crazy. Well, it has to have that as a baseline to be able to, you know, play into this character. Because she's not flipping it around or anything. She's not doing anything like subversive. She's literally just being like, well, I'm not like this, but I'm going to pretend I am, <laughs> you know. I love the line because you know I love the players and you love the game. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> the fact that that's kind of revisited a little bit in the bridge. Boys only want love if it's torture. Don't say I didn't <laughs> warn you. Yeah, <laughs> victim blaming her boyfriends. <laughs> she was talking about this song in an interview that I watched and she said, men want stable love and mature, emotionally evolved men want stability and they want compromise and like the good things that you know you want in a relationship boys want the game boys want the chase why is it always the men and the boys like no it's men too it's just men it's not there's no difference it is interesting that that's the way that we sort of we were like oh this distinction this this is so wise of us to call this out that boys boys are the one that perpetuating violence against us (laughs) no not Not. (laughs) Not. No one ever says that about women. It's like, oh yeah, girls are crazy. Women are good. (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) There's a sound in the chorus of this song that I really don't like. It's like this. Mm -hmm. It's because she's crazy. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's that's true. That's why it's in there. That's yeah. But I just I do appreciate the sparseness of this song. It's just not for me. Yeah, and what I want to say, when I said it's not for me, like, I get it, but it's not for me. But, like, I don't even mean that in a way that's, like, I dislike this song on this album. Because it's probably, like, in the better half of this album. But the whole album's kind of not for me, so that's where that comes from. (laughs) I'll tell you which songs on this album are for me. (laughs) We just need to say that Taylor making this album with Max Martin and Jan Schellbeck 
and also making reputation with them, but like especially this album mm-hmm. was her taking a masterclass in pop production and pop yeah. songwriting. She was just soaking up everything she could. She was really learning from them. That's what I do appreciate about her switch to pop and choosing to work with Max Martin and Jon Schellbeck because something that I want for her now is to kind of do something like that and be like, okay, I'm going to and here's the thing is she's made so many albums, she can do whatever she wants. She doesn't have to change anymore. She doesn't want to. Like, that's fine. But what I would really like to see is her challenge herself in that way and kind of stretch her muscles and try to do something different like she did with 1989. She became a student in how to make pop music. She kind of did with Folklore and Evermore, a student in Aaron Dessner's alternative music. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would just like to see her do that with pop music, with like from Midnight's. I would like to see her take that step. But I really love and appreciate that about this record and about this time period in her artistic arc. Track three, Style. The first song that's for me. <laughs> so the first inkling of this song's creation that we got and we didn't know it at the time, was when Lord tweeted, she tweeted, Lord tweeted something about how uh, when that chorus hits just right or something. And she had heard style at the time. We didn't know that, but Taylor had played her style. <laughs> so just wanted to set you up with that because it kind of gave the song a bit of a, I don't know, like we kind of thought she was talking about a song on 1989, but we didn't know which one. So there's just a bit of air of mystery about it. Something I recently learned, actually, or maybe I knew this and just forgot, but Taylor said, I'm pretty sure when we finished this song, I knew the record was done. Shake It Off and Style were the last two songs to be written for 1989. This one has always been my secret favorite. I hope it ends up being a single. I hope people love it. I love how this song sounds the way that feeling felt. I love when the sound of a song matches the feeling that inspired it. The song just reminds me of driving in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. I loved comparing these timeless visuals with a feeling that never goes out of style. And she said, this song is about my life, and I've never revealed who it's actually about. <laughs> oh, have you Girl. not, Taylor? <laughs> but the song kind of speaks for itself, and the way that the song sounds and feels, that's all I need people to know about the story. Yeah, it's just a great song. It was one of my favorites. It was one of my favorites when I first heard it. It was always one of my favorites. I have had an interesting relationship with the song where when I first heard it, I really loved it. And then there were other songs on 1989 that just drew me in a little bit more that I spent more time with getting to know and love, which we'll talk to when we get talk about when we get to them. But this song, because of that for me, just kind of became like a, I'm not getting this. Like I'm not getting what everybody is loving so much about this. And what actually what it took for me to really be able to appreciate the song was the performance of it on the Reputation tour, hmm. which is an embarrassing, an embarrassing admission. But I'm going to be honest with you guys because I think you deserve that. <laughs> yeah, because I think by that point I had already gotten a little annoyed by the song because it became overplayed, and I still kind of feel that way. Like I can't really hear it as what it is right now because it's just so, been so overplayed. And I loved it when it came out first, and even when it was first a single. Like, I loved it all through those two years, basically. And then I was just like, all right. <laughs> so it's not something that I listen to a lot on my own anymore, but it was always one of my early favorites. And I still think it's one of the best songs on the album. It's one of the most overly 80s-sounding songs on the album as well. Mm-hmm. It's very no, boom, Miami Vice. <laughs> the ad-libs at the end when she goes, mm. I'm, I'm stuck. Oh, you got that JCT. 
daydream, look in your eyes. And she goes, I got that thing that you like. Oh my God, it's so good. It's so good. I just want to stop recording and go listen to it. Like, it's so good. Midnight. (laughs) What an interesting first line. Yeah, it just creates such a good setting. The come and picking up no headlights. Like, that's, it feels how the song sounds exactly like she said. Fade into view. It's just, it's just really setting the scene, you know? She, and yeah, and she paints this really with so few words in the verses. She paints this really mysterious, kind of sensual uh, picture for you. The most words in the song are in the chorus, actually. And I, I love the structure of the song because I think, like, everybody loves Arranging Bridges, whatever, Cruel Summer. I get it. But what I want everyone to understand is that Taylor can craft a song in the exact way that it needs to be written. Style doesn't have a ranting bridge because it didn't need a ranting bridge because everything she needs to tell you, she tells you in the chorus. Do people say that about this song? Not about this song in particular, but I just hear so much hype over the the ranting bridges and Mm -hmm. I just feel like people need to appreciate. Like my favorite part of this song is probably, I mean, it's like every single part of the song, but a part that stands out to me is the pre-chorus. Mm-hmm. I know, I love that. Just so you to leave, because I know exactly where it leads, but I round and round each time. And the way that, and the, yes, it's so good. Yeah. And I just, that's all I'm saying is I want, let's like evenly spread the love around a little bit for pre choruses mm-hmm. and for verses. Yeah. You know, I like, love the second pre chorus, the what you heard is true, but I something about you and I sort of been there too. Yeah, we're going to talk about that lyric here in a second too. But I wanted to ask you, in the bridge when she says, take me home, what does she mean? It's just like, just take me home. <laughs> oh my God, I wish you guys could have seen Kai's face just now. I think it's it's very, just like, just, it's kind of, it's also sounds like she's almost like, just drive it home. Like, you know what I mean? Like, let's mm-hmm. put this, get the show on the road. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's also like, I mean, what do you think she's asking? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I heard someone say recently that they thought that because in what, where does she say in the song? Takes me home, lights are off. He's in the second verse. She says, takes me home, lights are off. He's taken off his coat. Because of that, that they were like, well, what kind of home is he taking her to then in the bridge? But for one, I don't think the song is like, it's not, it's not a direct, this happened, no. then this happened, then this happened. No, then no. happened. So that's not. That's funny. We're already home. Where is he going to take you? <laughs> oh my God, that's crazy. I, and I think people were thinking like, is she like, just take me home. Like I'm over this, like the breakup. Mm. And then, which I guess I could see that, but the song is just not a narrative. It's vague enough, which I like about the song. It's, she's, it's a cool song. It's one of her coolest songs on purpose. And I mean, just listen to that guitar riff, like she's trying to be cool here. And that bridge, she's not going to say exactly what she means by that. That's the point. <laughs> she's trying to be vague and cool. And the whole song is vague. It's just saying that we, there's something about us. <laughs> just something about us, which is really cool. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I mean, I think this song is so crazy because it is as cool as Taylor Swift and Harry Styles dating is. <laughs> if it's if it's well. Oh, oh, 
That's so good. I have to, oh, I have to put that so out. Good. No, thank you. Thank you for pointing that out, Kaya. <laughs> I, I praise you. <laughs> In an interview with Ryan Seacrest, when asked about the I've been there too a few times lyric, Taylor compared it to a lyric in I Wish You Would, where she said, you know, it's kind of like those loves that are like, we're crooked love in a straight line down. That line is also sort of, and this is a direct quote from her, that line is also sort of, I would never have said anything like that on a previous album. My previous albums have always been sort of like, I was right, you were wrong. You did this, it made me feel like this. Kind of a sense of righteous, like right and wrong in a relationship. And what happens when you grow up is you realize that the rules in a relationship are very blurred and that it gets very complicated very quickly. And there's not always a case of who was right and who was wrong. That's so funny. That's very important quote because she was very self-righteous. But the thing is, she still was at this point too. Very much, but she was still putting on an air of kind of unbotheredness and cool for this album because she wanted to separate herself from just the the heartbreak girl, you know? But I also think that that's just something you learn as you get older is it's like the relationship that she had with Harry Styles taught her a lot about how to have adult relationships Mm -hmm. where it's like, I don't have to hate you because we broke up because it didn't work out. And so I think that lesson of like, I've been there too a few times. It's like, and it's, that's so interesting because when you look at like the way that Taylor has written about cheating in her career, which like I've wanted to do an entire episode on the podcast just about <laughs> like looking at the lyrics that she's written about cheating <laughs> because she had this very like, this is wrong. You are wrong for doing that. That's bad. But then like, if you look at Ivy, you know, it gets blurry. <laughs> Not just Ivy. <laughs> that's just the first one that came to I my head. But um. I think she was having these realizations, but she was having them in a in a very like like I've said about her many many times. She's very individualistic and like she sees things through her perspective, pretty much solely. And so, like she was evolving in that way because she was things were getting complicated in her personal life, and she couldn't just have this moral code with relationships that like it's impossible, you know, to for even herself to stick to, you know? So she kind of had to do do that. And it didn't hurt her as much as it used to. Yeah, I think this album was like, her, her breakups weren't her biggest problems at this time in her life. She was more dealing with like her public persona and stuff. And that's a big part of when that shifted. And her career, mm-hmm. which is what you start to care more about when you're in your 20s than when you're like a teenager or like what you want to do with your life when you're a teenager. Obviously, she's a different case because she did have a career so early, but that's just, it's kind of the natural progression of when you're in your 20s, what you care about and what's what's important to you and what's driving you. And I think with that lyric too, like she was just exploring nuance a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think part of that exploration, like you said, came from criticism over her approach in lyrics and how she had that like vind- vindictive and she did try to shy away from that, but the bad blood was the very the point in this album where you're like, you're not <laughs> like you're still very much the same person. She was like, guess what? I'm cool now because I'm fighting women. <laughs> I don't know. I'm fighting women over my career. She made a very big point to make it about it's my dancers, it's my career. I think like, it wasn't okay, about your feminism. Career. Yes, feminism. <laughs> it was because she dated John Mayer. Yeah, Let's she was trying be to be. This, that's what I was saying, though. Like she was trying to be like, I'm not like that anymore. But she was still the same person, and the fact that she was trying to have this like feminism light, you know, kind of blanket over her her career at this point is just it's a slippery slope considering her ideas about women and feminism at the time. And aside from that part of it, though, but just looking at like 
just the growth of how we explore relationships and how we look at them, like that part of it. But that nuance that you get in that Lyrican style is what I love so much about Midnight's. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like, that's the thread of mm -hmm. 1989 and Midnight's to me. And I just want to uh, silence, I want to be a silencer for everybody who wants Harry Styles on this song. You are wrong for that. It's, it just, it kind of ruins the air of mystery and the intrigue. Like so much of the hilarity of this song is the fact that it's clearly Slightly about Harry Styles. obvious, but she would never admit it. Yeah. And if he was on the song, then it would just become like a parody of what it is. Yeah. And I don't like that. Track four, Out of the Woods. This is also for me. <laughs> This song was a promo single, so I remember hearing this also for the first time. And hmm, I just had a weird memory. I feel like this song came out whenever you moved rooms. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Cause I was sitting in the floor of my room and I was like, this is just my room now. And you came in there. I remember this. Right? Am I remembering this correctly? Because I remember listening to this song like for the first time, or maybe like the second or like when it was very new to me in that room and being like i'm getting older and so is taylor swift and this song sounds different and like what is going yeah, on yeah i think i had the same experience <laughs> that's crazy yeah taylor said that this was one of her favorite songs on this album because one of the goals she set out to accomplish when she made this album was to make sure that these songs sounded exactly the way the emotions felt when she felt them i would agree with her that this this song does that so well and I think if you look at some of the songs that her and Jack do together, I think this is like what they do really well. This was a perfect pairing of like both of their, it was balanced between the two of them. Like sometimes I feel like I'll hear a Jack and Taylor song. I'm like, this is maybe too much Taylor. Mm -hmm. This is too much Jack in the song. Too much Jack, definitely. <laughs> this struck a perfect balance of the two. Lyrically, she said, this song is about the fragility and kind of breakable nature of relationships. It was a relationship where you feel like you've never, you're never really standing on solid ground. And that mm -hmm. kind of a feeling brings on excitement, but also extreme anxiety and kind of a frantic feeling of wondering and endless questions. 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 <laughs> yeah. And this song sounds exactly like that. But it stresses that even if a relationship is breakable and fragile and full of anxiety, it doesn't mean it isn't worthwhile, exciting, beautiful, mm -hmm. and all the things that we look for. Her relationship with that man is so compelling to me. It is so interesting. <laughs> Clearly, it's interesting to her, too. <laughs> another thing, another great opening lyric. Looking at it now, it all seems so simple. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's such a great opening line. I think that's kind of like a great sort of, like, you could pull that out and kind of let that represent the entire album. Yeah. Very much. Because it's that like looking at a relationship with hindsight, looking at something that made you feel a lot of things, but you're not speaking about it from the moment it happened. You're looking back at it. Yeah. And it also just fully represents this song on its own because the chorus is so simple. You know, it's literally just like the same question over and over and over again. What I find so funny is that so many people have recently discovered that Jack is the voice vocal in this song. Are we in the clear yet? Are we in the clear yet? Like, people didn't know that that was Jack Antonoff. <laughs> I remember. Another thing that would become a thread. I remember. Oh, yes. That's insane. There's so many references to the song in question. She's crazy for that. 
can't believe she sampled her own song. The screaming color lyric is also referenced in question when she says, I don't remember who I was before you painted all my nights a color I've searched for since. <laughs> what the fuck? That's insane. In this song, there's a lot of anxiety. There really is. It's not It's not totally hindsight because, I mean, it is, but she's feeling it still. You know what I mean? Like, she's. It's. it feels very frantic. It's just crazy. It's just crazy to me. And she's, <laughs> so many years later, she's writing songs like Question where she's like, she's still, she's obviously in way more hindsight, but it's still like, she's still so confused and conflicted about this. <laughs> what I really enjoy about that quote that I just read is that she compares this song no, no, no. Oh, I'm so sorry. I meant to say this before when we were talking about style. The fact that she compared style to I Wish You Would, I love knowing that I Wish You Would is about Harry Styles. Because as you will see here in a couple minutes, I Wish You Would is my song on this album. Okay. Anyway, a little preview. <laughs> and I also love, I love the repetitive chorus. The repetitive chorus is clearly has a purpose, is intentional, and it's a theme in the song. <laughs> It's anxiety. It's it's very simple. It's she has this one question and you know, that's the that's the point of the song. <laughs> Do you remember when she did the Grammy performance uh, and she did the piano? She performed Out of the Woods on the piano. Mm-hmm. With that bob. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, she just had her regular short hair at the time. It wasn't the coconut headed hair. Coconut <laughs> But um I think it took that performance for some people to appreciate this song because when she sings it on the piano like that, she doesn't do all of the uh, repeats of that line in the chorus. Are we out of the woods yet? Are we out of the woods yet? Are we out of the woods? Are we in the clear yet? <laughs> if she if she hadn't done that yet, if she hadn't done that, that piano version also helps cement the 80s sounding of this song to me. Not that it's not there in the production, but uh, just in the melody. Like, if she had taken that piano version and tried to produce that, I think the song would have more of a, like, this sounds like it could have been in the 80s. I think what's most 80s about this is the, I mean, it's just the synth production. Like, those drums are so good. Almost, like, reminds me of, like, In the Air Tonight. (laughs) The synth in this song is just so good. Like, there's a crunchiness to it. Oh my god, the song is so good. It's so good. It's actually like one of my most played songs of this year just because I've been really getting into it. I think once I heard Midnight's, I was like, I need to listen to Out of the Woods. Yeah, because we talked about how the growers on Midnight's are like songs that you want to come back to and you get more from on repeat listens. And a lot of Midnight songs are like that and Out of the Woods and I Wish You Would are two really good examples of songs in 1989 like that. That I think were what I think of when I think of 1989, I think of like of what I like about it is songs like that. The ones that are like, they're sparse and they're a little vague, but they're also complex and they have, they keep you coming back to them. That's when 1989 is at its best. Another nod to the fact that this album is not a summer album. She says, looking at it now, last December, we were built to fall apart, then fall back together. It's so interesting, the the fact that on this album, she talks so much about a relationship that, is kind of off and on. And when you look at the off and on relationship that she had, uh, when she wrote about that on Red, it was very much like, obviously the relationships were different, but when you just look at the lyrical content of it and you look at like, we are never ever getting back together and the like irritation that she felt with that. And whereas on this album, she was kind of just 
almost in awe of the fact that this person kept drawing her back in and that it was so hard for her to not keep getting back because it together. was something she had never experienced before because it wasn't just like he was awful <laughs> you know and he was just a typical guy who reels you back in like they just had a connection that they couldn't seem to get right yeah that's a great it's a great bridge she's she slowly unveils the feeling that this song encapsulates and then the bridge she's like okay here's all the information <laughs> here's the literal facts here's the literal facts <laughs> let's talk about the bridge because i've actually been confused by some of the lyrics before and just like wondering what she meant i understand it more now than i have before but i just wanted to talk about it with you in case any of you guys are also or have ever also been in case you guys need to (laughs) (laughs) not for me (laughs) so she says remember when you hit the brakes too soon 20 stitches in the hospital room when you started crying baby i did too but when the sun came up i was looking at you Remember when we couldn't take the heat? I walked out and said, I'm setting you free. But the monsters turned out to be just trees. When the sun came up, you were looking at me. This little breakdown. So good. What What is narratively she trying to convey here? So she says, when you started crying, I did too. But when the sun came up, I was looking at you. So he's he's in the hospital bed. The sun's coming up. Is that to her kind of like, because to me, it paints this picture of like an ending. Like the sun's come up and you're like, this has to end. So she says, I walked out. I said, I'm setting you free. When she says the monsters turned out to be just trees, I know she's talking about the anxiety being. Basically unfounded. But is she saying then when she goes back and does that refrain of when the sun came up, you were looking at me. She's saying like, I said, I'm setting you free. But you like what? I just want to know what happened here. In my opinion, it's like. Yeah, they were just like, we're such a mess, you know, and they went through this kind of traumatic experience together. And but when the sun came up, I was looking at you. That's saying like, we still had this connection. But then once again, they went through another basically accident, wreck, whatever you want to call it. It's like a metaphor, but this is literally like their relationship. When they broke up, the monster trying to be just trees to me is like a metaphor for like the anxiety in the relationship was unfounded. And it was just and then when the sun came up, you were looking at me. It's kind of like turning it around. But it's, either, it's like they're both in the same place. They go through these crashes and these burns, but in the end, they still have the connection. And then, and then it goes back to, it's like, it sounds like you're finally, the sun's come up. And it's like, oh, we're at peace again. And then, in the, then the low voices, oh, they come back. Like, you know, like the anxiety is coming back again. <laughs> and that's it. Because the rest of the song is just out of the woods a million more times. <laughs> oh, it's so good. All right. Next we have the least track five of any track five. Yeah. All you had to do is stay. I have tried so hard to like this song. Actually, interesting. I, after she performed it on the Ares tour, I went back and listened to it and I had a, like a, I had a moment with it. I actually was able to appreciate it more. That's so fun. Because the chorus is so good. And I think acoustic version actually made me like it more. Because it's just, it makes you just pay attention to the lyrics. And the lyrics are very clever. And the, the rhythm of the lyrics is so fun. That, hey, all you had to do was stay. Like that, it's really great, fun, poppy melody. And I think it gets a little lost in the sauce <laughs> with the production that it has on Nice Nine. I, when she performed it on the Airs tour on the acoustic set, I also really enjoyed that performance, but I didn't get to then like have a moment with the song because the production just turns me off. Like I, I just can't. 
So I'm jealous that you had a little moment of hearing the acoustic performance and then being able to like enjoy the song. Well, it was just mainly the acoustic performance that made me like it. <laughs> I like a better acoustic, I think, which is rare for me. <laughs> but yeah, the production of this song is what uh, what kind of... It just makes it sound... It doesn't add anything to the song, in my opinion. This, the power of the song is in the is in the lyrics, is in the the rhythm and the melody. And I don't need all the like the like this is not necessary. <laughs> I wonder if Jack had produced the song if I would actually like it more. Uh, I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> me not probably. I think I would have because I think then it maybe would have given me more of like out of the woods. I wish you would. It's a very different song from those, though. It almost feels like when she played it on acoustic, it reminded me of like a 2000s kind of pop song, you know? Which she was pulling influence from, from like the classic 2000s kind of pop. Like whenever she did, um, what was the voice memo where she's like, it's like a like 2000s Nelly track. Yeah, the A. There's so many A's and it's like, <laughs> yeah. She said, I had a dream that my ex showed up at my door, knocked on the door, and I opened it up and I was about ready to launch into like the perfect thing to say and instead all that would come out of my mouth was this high-pitched chorus of people singing stay it actually makes me so sad to think that she had a dream where he showed up at her door and all that she could say to him was stay Stay! (laughs) it's crazy but it is crazy like i realized the production is what i don't like about the song i think like it's it's what really like makes it not listenable to me (laughs) I have known that for a while, actually, because when this album came out and everyone gravitated towards this song as like, it's a track five and it's disguised under this really happy production, but it's actually so sad. And I was like, Mm. well, hold on, because y'all are saying the same reasons that I love I Wish You Would, but this song actually just irritates the hell out of me. So... It, it just has to be the production then because I look at the mm-hmm. lyrics and I don't have a problem with it. I, I listen to it and I really try to enjoy it. I don't like the bouncy bass. <laughs> In the karaoke version, you can hear the harmonies, the low harmonies are like, uh, nice you want it back. If they had leaned more into that and let that come through the song a bit more because so much of the song is like had this high pitched and it just stays up there. If there had been a bit more of that lower harmony to balance it out, it would have helped me enjoy it a little bit. Yeah, I honestly just think like you don't need all these extra little things to make it sound like a pop song because it was a pop song in its structure. And that's just the songwriting is what is the best part of the song. It's just purely the songwriting. Because the chorus is so kind of genius. Like it's, hey, all you had to do was stay. Have me in the palm of your hand. Then why'd you have to go and lock me out when I let you in? Hey, nice. <laughs> like, it's just so, it's a genius chorus. It takes you through this whole little story. And the, it's like, a, there's so many good little beats and moments. And it's it's very good. But it's just not, it's not fun. I don't listen to this song very much. And I was like, listening to that performance, I was like, why can't I listen to this version? <laughs> I am hoping, I have this little twinge of hope that, all you had to do was stay Taylor's version because it's not going to be produced by Max Martin. That maybe there will be fewer things about it that annoy me. And I will be able to listen to this song because I just skip it. Kaya, stop. Stop. What other songs on Red did they produce? <laughs> and what happened? Leave me alone. <laughs> exactly. Leave me alone, Kaya. <laughs>
People like me want to believe you when you say you've changed. The more I think about it now, the less I know. All I know okay, is that Tim you drove us. <laughs> all I know is that you drove us off the road. So, something genius about this album is that the way so many lyrics just reference each other. Like all of these songs are just in communication with each other. And I love that. But I love the lyric, the more I think about it now, the less I know. Which speaks to that fragile, anxious nature of the relationship that she was talking about in Out of the Woods. But it also kind of speaks to the fact that sometimes you can't think about something so much to where you have all the answers and you know exactly why it happened. Hindsight and- is not always twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah. And that's a lesson that I think you learn in your 20s. And I think that's something you continually learn as you grow older. So I, I just really like that in the song. I love the, now that it's just too late, well, could have been easy. That's so good. So yeah, good. I love that. I love that part of the song. I don't really like the bridge of this. Let me remind you, this was what you wanted. You ended it. You were all I wanted, but not like this. I like it because I just like how it sounds. And I like that, let me remind you. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> so that is all you had to do with stuff. Track six, Shake It Off. I remember when the single came out, she talked a lot about how like she was terrified of horns. She never wanted to put horns in her music. For one, if you're making country music, when were you going to put horns in your music anyway? She put horns in this song and she was like really proud of that and really excited by it. The horns are like the best part of this song, always have been in my opinion, because I love love horns in music, so... It's so, like, I heard someone say once that this is, like, one of her most generic pop songs, and I passionately Mm -hmm. disagree. That's so stupid. It's actually one of her most unique pop songs. Only Taylor Swift could have written this, and... It's great acoustic, too. The chords are just good. They're not boring chords. Oh, my God, yeah. The acoustic perform... Okay, so she did an acoustic performance of this at the Nova Live Lounge, I think. And it's one of the best performances of the song. I actually have it downloaded on my phone and I listen to that all the time. It's so good. If you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. If I can find a link, I'll put it in the show notes of this episode. And then there's also this acoustic performance that I have on my phone that I don't know where this came from. But I think it was when she, I think it's actually like a leaked demo of when they were writing the song. I've heard that it. I, that I have on my phone. And I love that. This song is just so good acoustic. It's so good with full production. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just got perfect- this oomph to it, which makes it stand makes it stand out. But the only thing is, it just got so 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 overplayed that it's it really fell victim to that. But it's still a great song at the end of the day. It's better in my opinion than Blank Space. I like it better. It's more my taste than Blank Space. So. I agree, and I love the. But I keep cruising, can't stop, won't stop moving. It's like I got this music in my mind saying it's gonna be all right. Clap clap. So good. So good. (laughs) And you know what I love too is that you can feel the fun that they had making this song when you listen to it and anytime Mm -hmm. that it's played live. And I love the second verse when she says, I never miss a beat. I'm lightning on my feet. (sighs) I never miss a beat. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. If that, if she doesn't do that in Taylor's version of this song, pitchforks electric chair i never miss a beat i'm lighting on my feet and that's what they don't see i love this lyric because for one she's talking about the fact that like they make fun of me for my bad dancing but it's like 
I'm dancing to the beat of my own drum. Hello. Like, who cares? (laughs) But then secondly, she's also saying, I'm lightning on my feet and that's what they don't see. Mm -hmm. She's talking to her intelligence and her kind of creative prowess, I guess. Dancing on my own. Moves up as a girl. And this song is like peak ad lib at the end Mm -hmm. of the song. Like, it makes the song for me. I love the that's so good it's such a full and rich sound of just a bunch of people she goes you got to yeah, yeah i love the yeah how did she come up with that weird little thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just so like my ex-man brought his new girl and then the bridge she's like a talkie oh bridge God. we love a taylor swift talkie bridge we just can't live without one for a lead single not there's not much to say about this it's just it just shake it off All right, everyone, are you ready? Because we're about to talk about my absolute favorite song on this album. So this is one of the first songs that Taylor ever wrote to track. And I'll just read you the quote. So she said, I wish you would is a song that I wrote with Jack Antonoff. And it's the first song that we worked on together. Now, I think she means for this album because they wrote Sweeter Than Fiction pretty early on, like in the Red Era. And she said, I think for this song, we wanted to create sort of a John Hughes movie visual with pining mm-hmm. and you know, one person is over here and misses the other person, but is too prideful and won't say it. Meanwhile, this other person is here and missing the same person and they're missing each other, but they're not saying it. I had this happen in my life. And so I wanted to kind of narrate it in a very cinematic way where it's like you're seeing two scenes play out. And then in the bridge, you're seeing the final scene where it resolves itself. So it says it's a crooked love and a straight line down makes you want to run and hide, but it makes you turn right back around. So it's kind of that dramatic love that's never really quite where it needs to be and the tension that that creates. It feels very, there's a lot of tension in this song. It's fun. It also feels very 80s. That's another one of that feels like truly 80s, which I love. <sighs> I don't even know where to begin with what I love about this song. She starts the entire song with, it's 2 a.m. in your car. Windows down, you pass my street, the memories start. Another amazing opening line. You say it's in the past. You drive straight ahead. In the past. You drive straight ahead. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta do that. <laughs> You're thinking that I hate you now because you still don't know what I never said. So no pre-chorus, just a few lines of the verse and straight into the chorus. And there are some universes where that might not work for me. Like that, I just don't like that. But it's perfect for it. this song. Yeah. And I don't mean in this song. I just mean like some song structures like that just don't. I feel like it's it's lazy. It's because they couldn't think of a pre-chorus. But this song is it's just perfect. I wish you would come back. Wish I never hung up the phone like I did I. I wish mm-hmm. you knew that. I'd never forget you as long as I live. And I wish you were right here, right now. It's all good. I wish you would. This song has such similar energy to Out of the Woods to me. But it's less of that like anxious fretful feeling and it's a bit more just pining like she said john hughes when uh, she would introduce the song on the tour she would talk about like a john hughes movie and i think she played it off later on like on the tour a bit more like this isn't about my life this is fiction this was just inspired by john hughes movies but clearly this was a real thing that happened to her yeah also i want to say i love how the verse builds so perfectly to the chorus and the chorus just hits that peak perfectly with the like that little sparkly synth so good mm-hmm. and then and it comes back around every every like whatever beats 
you know, it's so good. And I also love the right here, right now, it's all good. Yes. I love that so much. It's a little bit of that like cutesy little wordplay, like rhythmic wordplay that isn't all you, you try to do is say that I love. And then it comes back down to 2 a.m. Yeah, it's so good. And I love too, like that, like that quote that she says where she's like, you get both of these people's perspective in one song and then they're kind of, they meet each other at the end. I love that. So it, she starts verse one, it's 2 a.m. in your car. She's kind of narrating for this other person. And then verse two, she says, it's 2 a.m. in my room. Headlights past the window pane, I think of you. So it's like, he's driving past her house. She's in the headlights and she's like, oh, I'm thinking about him. We're crooked love in a straight line down. It makes you want to run and hide, but it makes you turn right back around. And like so much driving references in this album, but it makes you turn right back around. And I love, I love, 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 love the bridge. Oh, hold on. Before we even get to the bridge, there's so much about the song that I love. I need to say the post-chorus. Yep. Uh, 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 I wish I wish I, uh, 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 and the drums. So good. And the fact that you get that post-chorus after the second chorus and not the first. So she's like just slowly building and adding more elements to the song. She doesn't give it all straight away at the beginning. And then that's that's what the song ends on. She doesn't end on the on the chorus. I wish you would. I wish you would. She's ending on the I I wish I wish I uh uh oh. It's just so perfect. Okay. So post chorus and then we go into the bridge and then we get a verse 3 after the bridge. Are you following this? This is some crazy songwriting. So in the bridge, she says, you always knew how to push my buttons. You give me everything and nothing. This mad, mad love makes you come running to stand back where you stood. I wish you would. I wish you would. And I love the way she delivers that. Mm-hmm. To stand back where you stood. I wish you would. I wish you would. She would. So good. Also, I have to point out that I always thought that she said to stand back wasted. <laughs> I think a lot of people heard that in this song. She ends the bridge, I wish, I wish, I. Then she says, 2 a.m., here we are. (laughs) (laughs) 2 a.m., here we are. See your face, hear my voice in the dark. We're a crooked love. And so most of this verse three, uh, the second half of it, comes from verse two. We're a crooked love in a straight line down. But she changes that last line and says, but it makes us turn right back around. And then she takes you back into the chorus. It's just, it's a perfect song. The production is perfect. Jack absolutely nailed it. And the way that Taylor, like, she did what she does with Aaron's tracks, where she just traces every little melody and note so perfectly in the production with the melody and the lyrics. And it's just perfect. It's just a perfect song. Also, the second edition in the last chorus. Mm, yeah. Oh my god, thank you, thank you, yeah. It's just so overwhelmed by how much I love the song, I can't even think straight. So she says, wish you were right here, right now, it's all good, I wish you would. I wish you would come back, wish I never hung on the phone like I did. Wish you knew that, I'll never forget you as long as I live. Such an amazing lyric, I'll never forget you as long as I live, I love that. And she hasn't, because she's still writing about him on midnights, like, it's just crazy. It's crazy, it's crazy. I miss you too much to be mad anymore, and I wish you were right here right now. It's all good. I wish you would. I just, I love the urgency of it. I love the way, like kind of the simplicity that she articulates this. It's like the way she writes it is like she misses him too much to be mad anymore because she can't even think of anything but just to say like, I wish it right here, right now. It's all good. I wish you would. Mm -hmm. Genius. 
Mm-hmm. Never been done before. No notes. Yeah. Top five on the album for me as well. Actually, when the album first came out, I remember being like, and this is what happens with what ends up usually being my favorite song on a Taylor album, on her pop albums, I would say, is there's a song where I'm like, huh, what is this? And I don't love it immediately, but that that like question of it keeps me coming back to it. And then I just listen to it over and over. And because mm-hmm. I didn't click immediately, it doesn't get old ever. Like I could listen to the song on repeat all day and not be tired of it. Okay, so next up, cause baby now we got that one. <laughs> you know what's so funny is used to be Mad Love is my Tumblr username. Yeah. And Which is so that's weird. like my favorite lyric in the song. I it's not a great song, but I like the song. Everyone hates on this song, so it's like her worst song of all time. It does what it needs to do. It's not an, any like inspired, like creative genius song. It just it sounds like she's angry <laughs> and makes you wanna wear like latex, I guess, and walk behind an explosion. <laughs> she uses her low register in the verses, which she used to do so much more rarely. That's just another reason I've always loved this song. Yeah, I remember I did love that part of the song, that aspect of it when it first came out. I didn't dislike this song when the album came out, but just over time. And also because of how popular it was as a single, like it had that single effect of 1989 that we talked about a lot. It's just not, it's it's a great song for when you are feeling that feeling, but really any other time, um, I'm not really interested in hearing I feel like for me, it's just like, I don't even have to be feeling the feeling. I just, when I put it on, I'm in the feeling. It's not the most relatable song. Like, it kind of is, but it's just so vague and the lyrics just aren't really that great that it doesn't really matter. It's just more about the vibe for me. I think my favorite part of the song is probably the pre-chorus, where she says, oh, it's so sad to think about the good times. And I love that she says, you and I. I just like her her vocals, her melodies are really good on this. And the lyrics, like, there's really nothing to say about the lyrics because there's really not not much to say about them. <laughs> it's all so self-explanatory. I love how, like, they're almost dumb. Like, the lyrics are almost dumb. And I kind of like, it's like, did you have to do this? I was thinking you could be trusted. <laughs> like, that's insane. <laughs> I, I kind of like how dumb they are, actually. Because, like, she has some lyrics like this on this album but i don't know I, they're just no one goes to the extremes like this song does <laughs> my actual i need to revise my favorite line in this song is so if you're coming my way just don't yes exactly, exactly. i love that line and i love it's the way so she delivers good. that line yeah she's just so pissy <laughs> <laughs> i don't like the bridge band-aids don't fix bullet holes so about the song taylor said Bad Blood is a song I wrote about a new kind of heartbreak that I experienced recently, which is when someone that I desperately wanted to be my friend and thought was my friend ended up being, ended up really making it very obvious that she wasn't. It was somebody that I really looked up to and really, really longed for the approval of this person. And so it was kind of devastating to receive kind of a low blow from that person. That sounds familiar. Oh, Kaya. I just said something crazy. Doesn't that sound familiar to you guys? Someone she really, really looked up to and wanted to be friends with, wanted the approval of, disappointed her and had a really low blow. If you are not clued in 
to what Kaya is talking about, Kaya is referring to Miss Olivia Rodrigo. Yes. Wow. Interestingly enough, did you see the magazine article about that Mm -hmm. yesterday? Interesting response, Olivia. (laughs) There's obviously beef. Everyone's like, you guys are just making beef out of nothing. Like, no, there's, there's obviously a falling out. Like, she, you don't just go from talking about an artist all the time to never mentioning them. And if someone suggested that a song like Vampire is about them, and you guys are friends, wouldn't you be like, what? We're literally friends. <laughs> you know? Like, it's so obvious that something happened. And it's kind of obvious what happened. It's really upsetting. Taylor really sucks for that. I mean, it's it's not... It's true to her character. That's It's what she cares about. What makes that worse is the fact that really what Taylor was upset with Katy Perry for was the fact that she was dating John Mayer, who had abused Taylor, and Taylor thought that her and Katy were friends, and she was like, you're dating this person who just did this to me, and like, that that was really the problem. And But then Taylor masqueraded it as it's, oh, it's a business thing. Yeah. But really what she did to Olivia was just kind of fucked her over. Well, she didn't, I mean, she just was threatened by her and her success. And she wanted to kind of mark her territory and be that's like... That, yeah, that's fu- kind of yeah. fucking over. That's like putting her in her place. It's such a shitty thing to do to this is, teenage artist. Taylor's biggest fears. And she's getting more and more like... But yeah, she was there in their own lanes. And it's not... That's the craziest part of it is Taylor's so threatened by. At the same time, it's like, we listen to nothing new. We know the fears that women have about being aged out of being her place. But she's kind of the perfect example of someone who has all these complaints about feminism and stuff, but at the end of the day, it's really just about how it affects her and her pocketbook. (laughs) So the continuation of this quote, she says, and this song was kind of the first time I ever released it up for myself in that relationship because she was always the bolder one and the louder one. I think it's important to stand up for yourself. And if you can only really come up with the courage to do it in a song form, then that's how you should do it. Yeah, but that's... If you need to write it in a song, that's one thing. But to launch an attack on Katy Perry's career via the release of that song and the music video of that song, that is a whole With other all thing. Your supermodel friends in the music video, as if she's the loud one. She, I need to stand up for myself. Like that's just not how this is. That's just not the way this works. <laughs> yeah, this is crazy, yeah. crazy behavior. Like I said, Regina George and sheep's clothing. I mean, not too far off. <laughs> all right, so that's really all I have to say about Bad Blood. Yeah, I think we covered it. Okay, so track nine, Wildest Dreams. This was Taylor's first Lana Del Rey cosplay attempt. Yeah, we talked about that in the last episode. She was trying to, she she loved our alternative artists and like the alternative roles that were rising at this time. And she, you know, she wanted to do something like it. <laughs> That's definitely what this was. And this was my, I think this was my favorite song upon like first listen, maybe. And it just became so overplayed. And so now I just don't listen to it very much, which is sad maybe one day (laughs) so verse one she says he said let's get out of this town drive out of the city away from the crowds i thought heaven can't help me now nothing lasts forever but this is gonna take me down so already here you're kind of being set up with the same themes that she sung about in the album of nothing lasts forever so it's gonna be forever it's gonna go down in flames like she's hearkening back to that here Mm -hmm. i love this line in the pre-chorus where she says i can see the end as it begins my one condition is i love that i love the way it sets up the chorus in that way my Mm -hmm. one condition is it's like a like a plea to this person that she's singing to it makes me think of like you're staying on the edge of a cliff and my one condition 
is. And then she just jumps off and soars for the chorus. That's mm. Mm-hmm. And that's really the, the visceral feeling that it gives you when you listen to it. Say you'll remember me standing in a nice dress, staring at the sunset, babe. Red lips and rosy cheeks. Say you'll see me again, even if it's just in your wildest dreams. And then the ha ah, ha ah, love. That's the so good. so good. Yeah, I love the... And honestly, Hearst doing like a slam poem about about it before the folklore section of the Aristor is made me appreciate it even more. It's like, that's such a beautiful line, like... Say and plus the connection to seven, I think, has made me appreciate the lyrics more too, because it's just very like reflecting on your past and like how you want to be remembered, which is really sweet. If verse one is her introducing the tone of this relationship, verse Mm -hmm. two is her really like revealing a little bit more of the nature of the relationship. So Mm -hmm. she says, "I said no one has to know what we do. His hands are in my hair, his clothes are in my room, and his voice is a familiar sound. Nothing lasts forever." but this is getting good now. I love that line, but this is getting good now. Like the fact that she starts this verse talking about where his hands and his clothes are. And then she says, but this is getting good now. She's like, hold on, hold on. It's an interesting story. And she's here for a good story too. (laughs) This is not anything we would have gotten on a previous album. Like the approach to this, the story that she shares, it was very different for her. And I think that's why I loved this song too at the very beginning when 1989 first came out. I, I was really drawn to oh, this is new. This is like a different, she's she's talking about something differently than she ever would have before. Another great pre-chorus. And it's the same, those first two lines are the same, but then she changes it at the end. She says, and when we've had our very last kiss, my last request, it is. Do you like the bridge? I was just about to say, another great bridge. I love the bridge. Yeah. It's just so fun. See me in hindsight. I wasn't always a fan of the burn it, it. It's like, what does that mean? (laughs) That to me is a point in the song where she kind of does try to, like she takes you out of the song a little bit and it feels a bit more like contemporary, whereas most of this album does feel like it exists in its own like little 1989 bubble. But then that line is like... It doesn't fit very well. Yeah, it doesn't seem like something she would say. (laughs) Yeah, but I like the, some these memories follow you around. And I just like how she repeats those two lines the whole time. And then the violins, do, 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 they get like more and more intense in the end. Yeah. And then it goes back down to one little. Love that in the breakdown where she says, Do you remember me? The low octave. And then it comes right back up. Say you remember me. It's very cinematic, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I, like when we were talking about in the music videos episode, that's why the video works really well with the song because it does capture the cinematic feeling of the song. My only wish for the song would just be honestly for her to add those drums in the music video version of the song. And I, I never understood when, when the music video came out and people said that, I was like, what are you guys talking about? I don't hear what you're saying. I get it now. And I do agree. I, I want the drums in the song. When the song was newer for me, I didn't mind it. But over time, I'm like, actually, no, I do agree. I think it needs a little something extra at the end. Next, we have the song that is our Taylor Swift punching bag. <laughs> we really take out all our aggression on this song. It's the lover album of Taylor Swift songs. <laughs> if you are a How You Get the Girl Stan. No disrespect. No disrespect. Yeah. It's just, we're going to be honest. Of us. Yeah. There was a photo of Taylor in the studio writing that she posted during the Red Era. And during the 1989 era, fans posted that on Tumblr and we were like, 
did this song turn into anything on 1989? Like, what, what were you writing here? And she revealed that she was writing How You Get the Girl. And it's just so much more obvious that it is about Harry Styles if she was writing it during that time. I, where to begin with what we don't like about this? <laughs> it's just too cutesy. It's too boring. It's too... And then you say, like, that's what I think of when I hear this song. It's just, it's the same. It's the one note. It's just, this, it's the epitome of the one note phenomenon that she does in this album, but it's like the worst type of version of it. <laughs> and I like the lyrics and I like that it tells a story. I, I like that it goes through, like, it feels like a movie scene, you know, like she'll open up the door and say, are you insane? Like, that's, that's something you see in a movie, like. You know what I mean? And I appreciate that. And it kind of reminds me of when Harry Met Sally, which is very um, New York in the winter and fall, you know, romance. I think she was heavily inspired by that movie and movies like that at this time. But yeah. It's I got that John it. Hughes movie-ness to the lyrics, but I just don't. The production, absolutely. It's like... That's how it works. That's how you get the girl. That's your pre-course? <laughs> and I don't like the breakdown... Remind me how it used to be. Pictures in frames of kisses on cheeks. I hate that line. Really? Pictures in frames of kisses on cheeks. I mean, that it's just, okay. It, it really just bothers me. Anything. That's not a visual that, like, it doesn't, it does not paint anything pleasant for me. I like, um, yeah, I know what you mean. I like, and now I told her why, why, you know, I like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's the way that we sing these lyrics and every single one is the same note. <laughs> it's so bad. I, I think the chorus is the least offensive part to me. I, I don't know. It has a little bit of that rhythmic stuff that I liked from All You Had to Do Was Stay. I wish you would, but it's just so bland that it doesn't really save it, you know? I want you. Like that chorus, if you put, if you could put that chorus in a song, in a different song, and the song would be better. You know, but the verses are literally just one note the entire time and one chord dun, 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 the whole time. It's like, are you serious? I love the, I would wait forever and ever, broke your heart, I'll put it back together. Mm -hmm. I like that. But, and also too, like I have said throughout this episode how I love the ad libs on 1989. I don't like the ad libs at the end of this song in the chorus when she goes, worse or better. No, because the whole song is bad. So the ad libs would be bad. I think we got that Diet Coke commercial before the album came out. And I remember hearing that. I remember being like, because I, I saw on Twitter that the commercial had come out and that there was like a clip of a song on it or in the commercial. And I was like, oh, do I want to hear this? Do I want to hear this? And I was like, yes, I do. Because this album was such a, what is this going to be? And I remember listening to it and being like, what? <laughs> no, thank you. I will not be drinking that Diet Coke. I will not be listening to that song. Now, a song that does do something for me, track 11. This is the only self-written song on 1989, and it started out as a poem. Taylor revealed in The Lover Diaries that she wrote this love in October of 2012, just before the release of Red. So it's probably the oldest song on 1989. Taylor said about this love, it's a song that I wrote very early on in this process, and it was the first time I really started experimenting with different vocal recording styles. In this case, I wanted it to sound kind of haunting, and so I've sung this song differently than I sung most of my other songs. I recorded it differently. There are multiple vocals going throughout the entire song. It's about an experience I've had where if you truly care about someone and you know they're not fully ready to be in a relationship, you will let them go. 
And it sucks to be the one who has to let something go and cut someone loose when you don't want to. But I think you have to be selfless in relationships when you know that that is not the right time. And if you make that decision and that person is supposed to be in your life, they'll come back. And this was the way that I felt when that came back around. Because we come back every time. <laughs> so this was the only song on 1989 that Taylor had Nathan Chapman produce. And if you don't know, he was her producer for all of her preceding albums to 1989. This song to me gives me such 80s vibes. I just love it. I love the, the mix of the guitar. It sounds like you're just floating on a river or something. Like the, it's, it is very haunting. This is, I think, one of the songs on 1989 that I'm like, I'll give you that. That's a little bit beachy of a song. Like it makes me think of like waves coming in and crashing. And I love the way she says, Oh, Yeah. And the fact that it's the only self-written song on the album, it's like, it's so special to me because of that, especially at the time that this album came out. We had gotten Speak Now, a fully self-written album, and then we got Red, and there were fewer self-written songs, so I was like, oh no. And then she gave us 1989 with just one self-written song, and I was like, begging for pennies, like, just give me more self-written stuff, please. Clear blue water, high tide came and brought you in, and I could go on and on and on and on, and I will. Mm. Okay, let's hear it. Skies grew darker, current swept you out again, and you were just gone and gone, gone and gone. Pre-chorus is so good in silent screams and wildest dreams. I never dreamed of this. In silent screams, that references a lyric in clean and wildest dreams, obviously, wildest dreams. This love is good. This love is bad. This love is alive back from the dead. These hands had to let it go free and this love came back to me. I love the way she worded that of like, these hands had to let it go free. Not like I had to let it go free. Because it's this love, this love, these hands, you know, it's good symmetry. And then I love verse two where she says, and this is where that drum kicks in. And she says, tossing, turning, struggled through the night with someone new. Baby, I could go on and on, on and on. I love her vocal, her tone of voice in these verses is so good. Lantern burning, flickered in my mind, only you, but you were still gone, gone, gone. The repetition in this song is so perfectly used. And the lantern burning flickered in my mind. Like I actually, there's a whole scene that I picture when I hear that. And it's actually like a snowy, like it's like a snowy forest. And I like, it's just, it's like kind of like in Narnia. I was thinking I think that. that's what I see. <laughs> I see like the that lamp in Narnia, but been losing grip on sinking ships. You showed up just in time. This love left a permanent mark. And it did. What else is there to say? And I love the, this love, love. Yeah, the bridge is great. The bridge is a good shift from the rest of the song. And I love this. When you're young, you just run, but you come back to what you need. The way she articulates her lessons learned on this album is, there's something that I really do admire about it. Like while it is a bit more emotionally filtered through than her previous albums and even one she made after this, I do really appreciate certain times that she imparts wisdom. Like when you're young, you just run, but you come back to what you need. Sometimes when she does say something in a really succinct way like that, she just hits it perfectly. And it's like, you actually didn't need to elaborate on that. Like I got it from just those few lines. And that's just a perfect example of that for me. This is interesting. It says, when asked by Pop Crush which of her 1989 tracks she listens to the most on her iPod, Taylor replied, 
I think the one that I kept going back to over and over and over again is a song called This Love, Actually. <laughs> this Love, Actually. It's a song called This Love. Actually. <laughs> it's a song that I wrote by myself. It's kind of like hypnotic in a way, and it kind of is somewhat romantic and wistful and relaxing. I love the song. I think it's a great song. It's never been in my top. I don't know what it is. I feel like I've always kind of had like, for me, I just like you are in love better. So it's that's the one that just kind of overshadows it <laughs> for some reason. That's so funny because I'm just the opposite of that. I think that's how it is. Like both those songs are sim- very similar. And so you kind of, you have your preference, you know. I don't go back to it as much because You Are In Love is just the one I gravitate towards more, but I do love it. And it's just a beautifully, it's just an excellent song, beautifully written. Track 12, I Know Places. The recorder click, I'll let you take this away because this is your, <laughs> this is your song. Yeah. Yeah. This was like, I was like, oh, she's doing a little alternative pop here because <laughs> I was very into that at the time. So I love this song. And it is, this song is very 2014 in a lot of ways. Like it has that alternative pop. The way she sings is very it and just, yeah, it's like dark alternative pop. But it's like, it's not that dark because the chorus is very bright. But like, as far as this album goes, it is one of the darker songs, which is why I always liked it. I love the uh, 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 uh. She does a lot of repeating like little random things in, in this album, which I like. Taylor said, I wrote I Know Places with Ryan Tedder and it's the first song that I wrote with him. So I brought this idea in that I had kind of done very roughly on piano and sent him this voice memo, which she included on the deluxe version Mm -hmm. of the album, of me singing the chorus and kind of babbling my way through the verse. And he liked it and wanted to work on it. The song about how other people will really ruin a relationship if they get a chance to, and how the best way to go about starting a relationship might be to keep it as secret as possible, just because it's very fragile. And I think this is a song that I wrote about sort of how covered it would have to be in order for me to make something work essentially there's a lot of songs on one direction's made in the am album that feel like literal responses to these songs like Mm. perfect is literally a response to style and uh wolves makes me think of i know places that's so true i sometimes forget that like i got so into that album yeah that album was so good this song for me is one that I think I really loved it when 1989 first came out, but over time, I just don't really go back to it that much. Not because I don't like it or um, I don't enjoy listening to it, but it's just because I think it's not quite sonically what I associate 1989 with. And because I do have just other really favorite favorites on this album that when I listen to it, if I'm not listening to it like top to bottom and I'm just like picking songs, it's just not one that I go for. Yeah, I love the, it could burn out, it could burn out, like the little re- repetition that she does. And then I, what I really love about this song is the drums. The like, it's just very, it's really good. And um, the bass, the drums and the bass kind of make the song. Because the, like, and there's a silent part and the bass just kind of goes, and the drums come back in. Like, do you know what I'm talking about? It's so good. Do you like the recorder click? Mm-hmm. I like it. I just think it's another little unique element to the song. It, it reminds me of like the pen click in Blank Space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it feels like she's like, you know, they're like undercover or whatever. Mm-hmm. I like the the first verse where she says, you stand with your hand on my waistline. It's a scene that we're out here in plain sight. I can hear them whisper as we pass by. It's a bad sign. Bad sign. <laughs> and then I love the, something happens when everybody finds out. I love that that melody that she does yeah it's one of the only songs that actually has like good melodies i feel like on this album <laughs> you know 
Because every song is just, you know? And the chorus is really pretty in this song. And it takes you, like, a different place from the rest of it. They, she has to have that one note part. But it's mostly the, uh, 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 which keeps, like, kind of, like, the rhythm going, I guess, in the song, you know? But she, she, there's variety, <laughs> which I like. And then the, way run! Oh, my God. Yeah, that's good. I love the the fact that the bridge of the song is just the what is it? Is that from the chorus? There, no, that's the pre-chorus. The bridge is the pre-chorus, but then the outro is kind of what you would usually think is the Taylor Swift bridge, where she says they take their shots for bulletproof. I know places. Mm-hmm, it's so good. And I love in the dead of night, your eyes so green, and I know for you, it's always me. The confidence in that line, too. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite lines on this whole album, to be honest. Yeah, and then the breakdown. The da, 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 and the breakdown in the chorus, too. It's just good. <laughs> it's just good. Just good, clean fun. And speaking of clean, track 13. Yeah, she really needed, also, I just want to say, she really needed I Know Places on this album. What would, where would we be without I Know Places? <laughs> we wouldn't know any places. <laughs> that was... <laughs> Weak. <laughs> that was weak. <laughs> so, in an interview with Elle magazine, Taylor said, "Clean." I wrote as I was walking out of Liberty in London. Someone I used to date. It hit me that I'd been in the same city as him for two weeks, and I hadn't thought about it. And when it did hit me, it was like, "Oh, I hope he's doing well, and nothing else." And you know how it is when you're going through heartbreak. A heartbroken person is unlike any other person. Their time moves at a completely different pace than ours. It's this mental, physical, emotional ache in feeling so conflicted. Nothing distracts you from it. And then time passes. And the more you live your life and create new habits, you get used to not having a text message every morning saying, hello, beautiful, good morning. And you get used to not calling someone at night to tell them how your day was. You place these old habits with new habits like texting your friends in a group chat all day and planning fun dinner parties and going out on adventures with your girlfriends. And then all of a sudden, one day you're in London and you realize you've been in the same place as your ex for two weeks and you're fine and you hope he's fine. The first thought that came to my mind was, I'm finally clean. That's good. This song for me, when I first heard it, this song has never, for me, I've never related to this in a relationship sense. I've related to this in a mental health sense. And that is the connotation that the song has for me. Like, I just, I just don't really think about it in a breakup way. But um, my favorite line in this song is, there was nothing left to do when the butterflies turned to dust that covered my whole room. So I punched a hole in the roof, let the flood carry away all my pictures of you. The butterfly turning to dust is just so... I used to play this song and like lay on my old bedroom in high school and I would like just picture that happening to me. Like I would literally picture punching a hole in the roof and like, yeah, I, I love this song, um, but I don't listen to it as much anymore as I did when the album first came out. Like it, I definitely had a moment with it. I love it. I think it's one of the best songs on the album. Definitely. Also Imogen Heap. I've gotten into Imogen Heap a lot the past few years, so it's kind of crazy to go back and listen to this and be like, I totally hear all the where that's coming from. It's in my six seven slot. Like it's not my top five, but it's like right there. The the imagery of this song I really love. Like she paints a picture throughout the entire thing and she doesn't let up from that at all. I, I was watching this interview of her talking about her collaborators on 1989, and she was like, 
I, I talked about Imogen Heap in like interview after interview after interview. And I was like, I do not ever remember you talking about Imogen Heap. No. Liar. But um, I love Imogen's vocals when she sings the pre-chorus with Hung My Head As I Lost the Oar and the Sky Turned Black Like a Perfect Storm. Ah, the rain. Yeah, it's so good. Whatever those things are that Imogen had that she was like banging on with the song to create the percussion, I love. I think it's so good. It just creates like a, like a little bubble for this song to kind of exist in. 10 months sober, I must admit, just because you're clean don't mean you don't miss it. 10 months older, I won't give in. Now that I'm clean, I'm never going to risk it. My favorite part is what comes right after that, when she repeats those lines from the chorus. Mm -hmm. I, I, I love this song because just for the sake of the fact that she wrote about a relationship in a way that is so vague that it can be about so many different things and experiences, but also so descriptive and uses so much vivid imagery that you are able to picture the experience that she's describing, you know? Once again, what would this album be without Clean? That's another one that's just like, you can't take that one away. Because <laughs> the whole thing is just so weak without it. <laughs> Honestly, it's so funny going through these. Like, on the standard, the standard is just so weak to me. Like, the standard version of this album is just so weak. <laughs> There's like a couple of songs that I really, really love, and that's it. <laughs> I'm a deluxe girly. <laughs> All right, speaking of the deluxe tracks. Yup. <laughs> Clean is the album closer. I think it's a perfect album closer. I don't think it could have been anywhere else on the album. Had to be the closer. And then we go into the deluxe tracks. So track 14, Wonderland. This was one of my favorites on the album when it first came out. I love the way she starts the verse with like, to me to go wrong. Like the melodies, she literally lets the melodies breathe. She puts melodies in these songs. <laughs> so pretty. This song really goes everywhere because she went from didn't they tell so good. It's so good. It's so good. Honestly, like the, the deluxe, I think this one and New Romantics are probably tied for number one and then You Are In Love is like right, 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 right below it. It's so hard to choose. But those these three are just like, these are the girls. These are the girlies. <laughs> The deluxe tracks on this album make me really, really, really excited for the vault tracks. Yeah, because if this is what she didn't think was good enough, then I probably will love the vault tracks even more. <laughs> I love the flashing lights and we, because it's like, that's kind of calling back to I Know Places. She talks about green eyes so much on this album. I love that I should have slept with one eye open at night. Mm -hmm. Like, that's so creepy, mm -hmm. but Duh. it's just, oh, I love that, <laughs> Kaya. That's like, my, one of my favorite parts in the entire song. She kind of sings this song with like a British accent or something too. That's the singing in cursive. She totally does that. Like I love that. In Wonderland. <laughs> so we went on our way to in love to think straight. All alone or so it seemed. The strangers watching, whispers turn and talking. And talking turn to screams. Like my two, do my very songs on this album, she screams in them. <laughs> Actually, I guess you can count New Romantic. She kind of screams in that too. <laughs> Is there a difference in the pre-chorus of these? Oh yeah, so she says, it's all fun and games till somebody loses their mind. And that line I love because that makes me think of New Romantics. The fun and games is kind of what she's singing about New Romantics. But it's like, 
we can say that baby we're the new romantics it's so romantic leave me stranded but it's like we're all mad here <laughs> oh my god i can't wait to talk about new romantics okay <laughs> so wonderland is really about like it's it's got that same kind of distance from the relationship there's not that really i'm scorned by this person feeling it's just like we found wonderland and we got lost in it i love that in life was never worse but never better so good so good and we pretended it could last forever so it's gonna be forever or it's gonna go down in flames. Exactly. The bridge. I love the Yes, 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 yes. Because it's like you're falling down a rabbit hole. That's what that sounds like. Yes, this song, she does such a good job of singing it in the way that you would physically experience what she's singing about. Like literally being in Wonderland. We search the world for something else to make you feel like what we had. And in the end, in Wonderland. We both went mad. Did it just feel like everything after that meteor strike was just second best? <laughs> you know what I would love to do is I would love to just make a playlist about all of the Harry Styles songs and just like sit with They're that. They're so interesting. Yeah, yeah. And something else I wanted to say about this is like the way the verses are so calm, but have this little bit of unease. And then when she goes into the pre-chorus, it speeds up and it feels so much more intense. And then the chorus is kind of like, almost stepping back from it and just looking at the craziness. There's so much like dynamic exactly. uh, movement to this song. Nexty next. <laughs> Track 15, You Are In Love. This song, I feel like I've said this in a previous episode, but I have no idea what that would be because I don't know where that would have been relevant for me to say. But this song deeply reminds me of Sailing by Christopher Cross. I've said that many times. Sorry, I didn't mean that to come off as like, I saw that reason for like that. I just, I, yeah, I don't. I remember when 1989 first came out and I played You Are In Love for my parents because I was, for our parents, because <laughs> I was like, you guys play this song all the time. You're going to love this album. <laughs> like, you're going to love it because it sounds like, sounds like that song. Um, my favorite line in this song and one that I think we just simply need to discuss is, you understand now why they lost their minds and fought the wars and why I've spent my whole life trying to put it into words. Like, are you kidding me? You just can't beat that. She basically just summed up her entire life and career in that line. <laughs> and it's so funny too, because it's like with this album, she was trying to be like, I'm not, I don't care about heartbreak. I don't, I don't write about it. Yeah. And then on this, she's like, it's my entire life's mission. Because <laughs> the new romantics is not just a joke. She's taking that seriously. That's really her whole life. <laughs> yeah. I love the, it's very like methodical and like pulsating almost, you know? And um, in the verses, that's really good. Like the one look, dog room. Like the just kind of a call and response sort of type of melody. Buttons on a coat, lighthearted joke. No proof, not much, but you saw enough. That's just good. Yeah, it's a bit conversational. Mm -hmm. It's like it's both poetic and conversational. That's why I think the lyrics of this song are so great because it's a little bit of both, which is an unexpected combination. Yeah, and I love how it's do 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 do, and then it switches to do 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 do. It's so good. Mm, it's so true. This song is very like Christmassy wintery. time to me. Like it's snow. very wintry. It really does feel like a snow globe, mm, but it also feels watery too. Like the it feels like you're sailing. Like the do 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 do. So I can see both. I can see argument for both. It's just the movement of it because the movement of snow is similar to the and movement of And that's why the bridge water. is so perfect when it's just you two are dancing in a slow go round and round because that's what it feels like. You're like on a little swivel, you know. Also, I love the way she says that. Like you two are dancing in a snow globe right now. <laughs> like that's what that, I just love that. 
not like it felt like we were dancing in snow. I was like, no, you are doing that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love the uh, at the end of the bridge when she goes because you can hear it in the silence, and then there's yep. silence. Yep, yep, yep. You can feel it on the way home. You can see it with the lights out. Oh, it is, you were in love. It's so good. True love. Yeah, yeah. And she screams. <laughs> she screams in all my face. <laughs> that's hilarious. So the prerequisite for you to love a Taylor Swift song is, is just for her to scream. Yeah, that that checks out. And then you're you're sold. <laughs> but let me just break down. Okay, and it's just uh, it's just it, it's just a perfect song. Small talk. He drives coffee at midnight. Like it just it keeps progressing and progressing. And the chorus. Let me break that down for you. I can. You. I thought this was the most genius lyrics I've ever heard in my life when I was a kid. And then, you know what? I was right. <laughs> you can hear it in the silence. I just love that that little play on words. Like obviously, you can't hear anything in silence. But like silence in your relationship, or moments of silence, or moments when you're like kind of thinking and you're realizing and it's just so loud whenever no one's talking you just feel like happy you know and you can feel it on the way home and that's another kind of like opposite because like you're not at the event you're not doing the fun thing you're on the way home but that's when you it's like it's sinking in and you feel like the effects from everything that's been going on you know what i mean because it's like reflective that's why the song is so reflective which i love um you can see it with the lights out it's another obvious one i mean there's obviously some other uh, implications to that <laughs> yeah but also just like sitting in the, in the dark like it's another time where it's just you're in your own head but you can kind of process everything that's you've you've like to on. me that makes me think of like when you're falling asleep at night or something like you just feel that love and safety with that person which also kind of reminds like kind of sounds like the uh the second verse when he says, one night he wakes, strange look on his face, pauses, then says, you're my exactly. best friend, and you knew what it exactly. was. He exactly. Exactly. And that's another reason. I just love this song so much because it's like, it's in her, it's like, it's like you're in your own head, you know what I mean? Which is like, that's like my type of thing, <laughs> you know? It's not just like, oh, I'm professing my love to you. We're doing this. We're doing that. It's just like, I'm realizing things, <laughs> which I really like because it just feels very peaceful. And also, I just love that she's writing about other people, too, because it feels so it feels so selfless in that way, because she's marveling over something she's not even directly involved in. And that's another part of why it's so beautiful. Uh, you keep his shirt. He keeps his word. Oh, for once you let go. It's just burnt toast Sunday. I love that. And I love the your fears and your ghosts, because that to me calls back to like all the other previous songs we've heard on 1989. Yeah, this is perfect placement for the um, for or the track list too. So it should be at the end, you know. It's like all this shit that I'm making fun of and like all that, but like at the end of the day. <laughs> okay, and then the pauses and then says that's just the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my life. And he keeps a picture of you in his office downtown. That's so good. I just love how like normal that is, you know. Like it's just think of all the little little old couples that do that like this is so sweet <laughs> yeah and then we talked about the last line of that it's so good and then the breakdown it's just so intimate and so oh her low register is so beautiful there and the, yeah we're in love it's so good it's crazy how much better these songs are than the rest of the album like it just it just has blown my mind ever since <laughs> like i could replace the three deluxe tracks with how you get the girl bad blood and a few <laughs> there's a few contenders all you had to do was stay mm -hmm. and it would be such a better album <laughs> okay 
the last track on the deluxe edition of 1989, New Romantics. Uh, 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 uh. Oh my god, it's so good. I've heard so many people recently say that this should have been the album opener, but I actually think that it's a really perfect album closer. Like it kind of ends things on a positive note with all these lessons she learned throughout the album. It's too much, I think, for an opener for this album because- And it's it's reflective on things. It's not like, Welcome to New York is the introduction. Exactly. And it's too good. To where she- <laughs> it's too good to be the album opener because then every other song will be the worst one. Because <laughs> you literally can't open an album with the best song on the album. <laughs> oh, this is interesting. We're using Genius to look at the lyrics and it says, New Romantics is a satirical song discussing how new romantics, in quotations, view love and life and addresses the nonchalant and whimsical nature of the way young adults approach love. Notably, Taylor doesn't segregate herself from these young adults. Her constant use of personal pronouns such as we and I indicates that she has also embraced this mindset. Mm-hmm. It's literally hard feelings, Lord. It says, this album introduces Taylor's new mindset and approach towards love. We see her transition through a breakup and making the discovery that love is not a fairy tale, and the chances of a happy ending is very unlikely better to live life freely and not take relationships too seriously. Notably, the album begins with Welcome to New York, which marks the beginning of her transition, and this song, as the last track on the deluxe edition, indicates how she will be heading into the future, free-falling. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's like exactly what we just said. And the fact that it just, I love this, the first line, we're all bored, we're all so tired of everything. <laughs> like, that's so good. And she sounds so bored when she's singing it. And she's using her low register again, which I love. We wait for trains that just aren't coming. <laughs> Sad, beautiful, tragic reference. Mm. Also, it's very 80s. Very, very 80s, which I love. Boom, boom. It's also like M83, actually. Sounds like M83, like Midnight City. That's another reason why I love this song so much. I have always thought that, and I don't think I've ever said it out loud. But yes, it sounds exactly like a, a 30H3 song. Really? Did you hear what I said? Yes. Oh, okay. That's different. <laughs> okay. I know, but it made me think of this. Okay. <laughs> because it's always like the way she's like, we're all Oh, bored. like the way that they sing like, like a black dress. With the- <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's funny. Oh my God. Yeah, it's that's like 30H3 and MA3 had a baby. That's hilarious. <laughs> But do you, like the bass, that boom, 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 boom. Like that's that's very MA3 Midnight City to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love it. That's why. Because I, I was obsessed with that song when that came out. I love We Play Dumb. We know exactly what we're doing. Like, be serious. <laughs> this song is so interesting because it, it really does like, yes, it is satirical, but it's also very literal and Yeah, honest. it is. It is. But it's like, it can be both at the same time. And that's the nuance that we were talking about that is so great about this album. And that's what makes Midnight so good. That Like this song could be a Midnight song to me. We cry tears. I love the cry tears. I love that so much. Mascara and I just, I love the way she's reflecting on everything that she's sung about on the album, but with a, like a brush it off. Um, like, and even in the chorus, cause maybe I could build a castle out of all the bricks they threw at me. That's shake it off, essentially. That's also a little bit of a nod to Blink Space, like why she wrote Blink Space. Mm-hmm. Every day is like a battle makes you think of bad blood. <laughs> Every night with us is like a wildest dream. Oh. <laughs> Baby, we're the new romantics. Come on, come along with the me. Rhythmic, the rhythmic thing, too. So cute. That's such a good line. Heartbreak is the national anthem, and we sing it proudly. Like... Red Era Taylor could have never said that. I mean, she kind of did, but like she wasn't she wasn't fully there yet. This is her final form. She teased it a little bit with like 22, you know, but that was nothing compared to this. 
I think New Romantics is just so perfect for anyone who is like Taylor's age. Anyone who grew up uh, millennial and what, Gen Z. So it is. I almost said Gen X. I was like, that's not it. So um, <laughs> millennial and Gen Z, like the r- approach that we have to romance and relationships is just so different from all the generations that were before us. And this is literally like an anthem. We sing it proudly. Like this is how we approach relationships. It's different. It's with a bit more... Blase. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just a bit more of a an appreciation for the experience and the lessons learned rather than like a... Yeah, it's very... I love how it's just... It's literally... The title is perfect because it's just a romantic song. Like, it's romanticizing your life and like the things you go through and just like how things aren't... You know, things could be better, but you know, we're, we're enjoying it. We're having a time. <laughs> the Honey Life is Just a Classroom lyric has proven so true the older I've gotten. Like, I'm 24 years old right now and... I literally like a couple weeks ago, I was like, shit, she was right. Life is just a classroom. <laughs> like I didn't know, I didn't understand that line at 15 because I was still in school. <laughs> but like being 24 years old now, I'm like, wow. I love that it's poker. He can't see it in my face, but I'm about to play my ace. <sighs> need love. And the harmonies that come in here are so good. We team up. <laughs> But all we want is danger. We team up, then switch sides like a record changer. A little 80s reference. The rumors are terrible and cruel, but honey, most of them are true. Uh, yeah, that's uh, such a good line. That's like, hello, she just told you. <laughs> this song uh, has a similar energy to Blank Space, but the production and the melody is just so much more enjoyable for me. And it's also just more relatable. <laughs> but the energies are similar. Like some of the little bits of lessons and tidbits that she throws in blank spaces reminds me of the song, but uh, we're too busy dancing to get knocked off our feet. Like we're too busy enjoying where we are now. Mm-hmm. That's such a good- To just like, get caught up in whatever person shows us attention. Come on, come along with me. And we did. I love, please take me dancing and please leave me stranded because it's so romantic. That's that's a great way to summarize this whole song. It's like, why are you getting so upset? <laughs> about everything that happens to you because it's all romantic <laughs> you know we have made it to the end of 1989 how is this album unlike anything she'd ever done before on the biggest difference making this album compared to her previous albums taylor said i didn't have any boundaries around me production wise one of my favorite things about country music is it taught me how to tell stories i love how it all came about with my career but at this point it felt like i wanted to go and run in a different direction and in a different direction I'd never run in before. I want to be able to use whatever instruments I want, whatever drum sounds I want, whatever vocal style I want. I want to be able to layer things. I don't want someone to say, well, this isn't country. So the reason this felt like a much more free experience is because I was able to write songs without the worry that people would say it wasn't the genre it was supposed to be in. When you make a pop album, nobody's going to look at it and say, well, that's not pop. Yeah. She had to, and this has always been one of my least favorite Taylor albums, but she had to make this album. She had to make this transition to free herself to do whatever she wanted to do. And that's why it's so impactful. I think it really is such a pivotal album in her catalog too, because of just the way, just all the changes that she captured and wrote about on this album with how she approached love and her life and just the the lens that she was looking at her own past experiences through. And the nuance that she was able to bring to different things that she wrote about. 
So let's share our top three. I think we should share our top three and then I think we will put our rankings on the Instagram stories. Well, I, I have a five. I have to okay. do my five. Top five. Uh, okay. So, and it, it, it varies, you know, but I, I think my top, my top five has been basically the same five songs. So I'm going to go with New Romantics, You Are In Love, Wonderland, Today I'm Feeling I Wish You Would, I Know Places. My top five is I Wish You Would, This Love, Style, and then it goes mm, probably Wonderland, New Romantics. Actually, right now it's probably New Romantics, Wonderland. Oh no, I forgot Out of the Woods. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, that's okay. Whatever. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just, I'm not going to think about that. <laughs> if you are a Spotify listener, I will include a Q&A so you can share your top three with us or your top five with us. Hope you enjoyed our review and reflection on Nights Day 9 in support of this upcoming Taylor's version era that we're about to embark on. <laughs> There is a lot more 1989 to come from us on the podcast, but this is kind of like the biggest lift, you know, like the album is, that's everything. Vault Tracks, we're very excited to hear. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Further Explanation. If you enjoyed this episode, there are a couple ways you can support the podcast. First, if you are not already subscribed, if you made it this far, you should just go ahead and subscribe. Secondly, leave us a review a five-star review and if you are a if you are an apple podcast listener if you could write a sentence or two and leave us a review with your rating that would be amazing and the best people in life follow the podcast on instagram and threads at further explanation pod and twitter at swiftypod13 we will talk to you in the next episode when we do our 1989 tour review commentary and analysis Bye. bye